Welcome, my friends, to this fine radio program, uh, podcast, and otherwise video cast. We, we, you know, we're in pretty much every format at you this know, point. If you're not on this show, I'm a little stuck because I can't do the well, well like that. Oh, like I've tried it. No, work. see, you did it on the hundredth show. I thought it, it was, was good. different. Well, I, and I intentionally had to make it something else because yeah. I can't do the well, well. <laughs> I just my voice doesn't see, do that. See, thing. you almost went there right now. Well, see, you well, can, I'm, I'm telling you, you I, can I do feel it. like I feel Look, like I'm petering out on it. It's I, smoking and toasting. Show number one eleven. But let me just say. <laughs> What you, I think most people who are regulars to the show know that you're a musician and you uh, build and repair guitars and you're a guitar player. You're also a very good vocalist too. So I don't see any reason why you just have you would just have to treat the well well as if it were a line from a song. Well, well. Now, see, I kind of like that. Maybe that should be your trademark. Uh, uh, well, uh, welcome. I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> well, welcome uh, to Smoking and Toasting. We are so glad to have you on board for our 111th show. Yes, it's true. 111 episodes, and no one has stepped in. We will keep you posted. Um, it is a. Uh, it, it's a. It's going to be a great show today. Adam Harris from Beam Suntory uh, is joining us. I know he's brought Little Book. And I'm not sure what else. So we're we're really stoked and excited. Oh, we were talking before the show. This is going to be cool. Oh yeah, this is going to it's going to be yeah. great. Uh, so we we'll be doing a lot of different spirit. I also understand you may have some things that are like uh, unique and and new and and you know maybe not even on the market yet. So that makes me feel quite greedy and 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 like I've got a leg up on uh, uh, other folks out there. So um, I, I apologize in advance, but I'm going to enjoy right, it. I, I'm not going to let this cat out of the bag, but we're in for a special treat on this one. Okay. Well, good. I, uh, so you may know something I don't know here. I do. Oh, okay. I'm pretty I know excited. at least two things. We pre-gamed a little bit. Um, yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> well, we're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Avenue in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Big uh, ups to our boy uh, Jeremiah. And uh, to all that they've got going on at B and B, because it's a man, it's a it's just a hell of a deal. <laughs> I am uh, I, I'm I'm overdue, I think, for a B and B dinner. So we should put that. They're on the so calendar. good. You know, go over there, order some bacon, get something else, order and, some and, more and bacon. bacon. Yeah. More bacon yeah. <laughs> have you had the bacon there? I have. It's I unbelievable. Just saw Jeremiah the other day. Oh my one, gosh. One of the things I I love about B and B, and you may not know this if you haven't gone in and actually uh, looked through the whiskey list or sat at the bar. But the selection of spirits, whiskey in particular, but also rums and tequilas and some other things. I mean, these guys are really. I, I you don't normally, I I think, go to a steakhouse and see that kind of selection. And it's not just the number of bottles, although there's a lot, but it is very well curated. And that comes basically from somebody like Jeremiah, who kind of knows what he's doing. One of the things I find interesting about their uh, their selection is. They of course do have some um, some of the usual suspects on there, but not all of what you'd you know what you uh, expect at most bars. Mm-hmm. Because he basically goes, you know, this is good enough or this is not good enough. He really curates the heck out of that and uh, whiskey selection. You know, when we were. Um uh, when we were at the Whiskey Sniff uh, at B&B, uh, you and I got invited to stay behind a little bit after, and Jeremiah w- uh, invited us to a meeting of uh, his bartenders. And yeah. they were sitting at a table, and he basically brought out some things for them to sample so that he could tell them about. Because one of the things that, that Jeremiah believes, and I really love this this point of view, is that a big part of, of uh, being a bartender is knowing and understanding the story behind 
the the whiskey or behind the spirit, whatever yeah. that story is, because people like to know something about what they're drinking, especially somebody that's you know that's really into it. If you're trying something new, you just don't don't want to just know the name. You want to know uh, what this is good. Why why am I liking this? Right. You know yeah, what sure. what is it about this that's so he was he was uh, you know telling the story and it was great because uh, one of the bottles that he brought out for them to sample was uh, the single malt we had on the show about mm-hmm. four or five episodes ago. I was like oh very nice so. Uh, Actually, it didn't make me feel like Jeremiah was on his game. It made me feel like I must have been on my game to have brought in something that was uh, going to be on, right, the, on, right. on his list. Cause well, it was fun to watch them, too, because the, the camaraderie, when, when all the uh, servers and people are there and they're trying these things and they're learning about this stuff, it's just mm-hmm. amazing to watch the education uh, go on, and everyone enjoys themselves so much, too. And I will say, if you're asking your bartender about the drink that you've ordered and they don't know anything you may need to go to another bar. <laughs> right? I'm just saying they, they should know something, right? You know, even if they can be given a pass for not knowing about a thing, but if they don't know about you know several things. Yeah, yeah, you probably need to find another place to drink. <laughs> uh, well, we found a place to drink today, and it's going to be right here in the studio. Adam Harris from Beam Centauri is here. He's got spirits all around. We're excited about this, and we're going to be trying. Um, I guess um, Ian, with this being October 25th. This will be our last Oktoberfest on the, the show. Last October yeah. well, Fest. I don't know if it's the last, but the last sort of planned Oktoberfest for the show. We started in late July when they first started hitting the shelves, which is crazy, but that's that's when it happened. And we've done an Oktoberfest every week since then. And it's uh Some are great too. It's it's Some? been a good year. Yeah. It it's been a good year. Uh today for uh what may be our final one, we will be trying Dead Ringer, which is the Oktoberfest Mars and Lager from Ballast Point. And we've had Ballast Point on the show. Uh, before and they are generally great with all kinds of different IPAs and with great sour things. So let, we'll see we'll see what happens when we go Oktoberfest with uh, with Ballast Point. That should be very interesting. Uh, also on today's show, the Moody Tongue Peeled Grapefruit Pilsner. Uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that because I've seen it, but I haven't tried it. Uh, yeah, uh, I will tell you that I've tried it, and I can't wait to see how you uh, how you react to it. Uh, and then finally, uh, Founders has released Curmudgeon's Better Half. It's an old ale brewed with molasses and aged in maple syrup bourbon barrels. That may be the longest beer description. <laughs> uh, but uh, but Founders, I, I just don't know if I've ever tasted anything that I would say, yeah, they didn't quite do it with this they're, one. They're one of my favorite companies. They really I mean, if if for nothing else, if for for the old curmudgeon, for mm-hmm. dirty bastard, for uh, the breakfast stout. I mean, come on. So this obviously is this beer will be related to uh, old curmudgeon, but it's curmudgeon's better half. So I yep. guess this is the wife's beer, uh, and she apparently <laughs> likes a great picture. She apparently it likes molasses. Yeah, we'll show that to the camera when we get to that uh, to that point in the show. So, uh, so that is uh, coming up. Some interesting stories. A uh, uh, a group of Texas bar owners has launched beer for dogs. We'll tell you about that. Um, beer sales are actually off, and everybody's blaming pot. We'll tell you about that. And uh, there's a new cigar advocacy website that any cigar uh, lovers need to know about. It's been launched by uh, the IPCPR, which is the Retail Association, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all about your rights as a cigar smoker, and it's a great place to go. So we'll tell you about that uh, coming up as well. Uh, Plus, remember last week I I told you about the, uh, the Jack Daniels Advent Calendar? 
Yes. Remember that? Yes. Well, guess what? There's another one out now, and it's for tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm excited to be able to share that with you uh, as well. So uh, it's been a very interesting week. want to thank uh, Stuart and Caitlin Gloss from uh, Pura Vida and Lukenbach Road for being our guests uh, last week. And uh, uh, this is the point of the show, Ian, where I'd love to ask if you've smoked anything interesting this week. The answer to that is yes. I had a feeling. I just <laughs> just knowing you. <laughs> the answer is you know right before I uh, right before I come up here uh, recently, uh, since my schedule's changed, I actually have about a forty five minute drive. You have a little lull, yeah. And um and that's nice because if I haven't been able to get in what I want to talk about, then I'll just bring it with me and I'll smoke it on my way here, which leads me to smell like a big cigar in here, which is okay with me yeah which doesn't bother anybody <laughs> in here so. nobody in here cares about that right <laughs> so uh i i lit up a uh black label um from black work studio black label lawless oh on the interesting way here yeah. this is a uh uh nicaraguan filler nicaraguan binder ecuadorian um uh ecuadorian habano rosado uh wrapper so it's a mm-hmm. brown a dark kind of yeah, chalky brown yeah you're right it's that and it's, it's that got very a little deep brown. hint of red to mm-hmm, it that's interesting mm-hmm. i guess maybe the risotto means something like that or right. maybe that has risotto risotto does mean red yes so there's my spanish mm-hmm. i just learned well, not something. exactly red but yes reddish <laughs> reddish um it was a very firm cigar um very firm very uh beautifully the labels are really nice really mm-hmm. classy looking and a little bit you know a little bit um they have kind of a tattoo art kind of look to them overall, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Um, and I've had this one in my humidor for a while. Uh, so it's probably picked up some of the cedar and seasoning from my humidor overall. But this uh, was a gem. It's like if you like coffee, you like this cigar. Mm, interesting. Um, there's some interesting other flavors on here. No, um, it's not in any way a flavored cigar. Right? No, you're, no, not at all. You're talking about it getting just, notes man, of coffee It just in has so much of that notes of coffee in there and everything else it has some other spices like baking spices like cinnamon like um mm-hmm. and some other things like that it's very earthy and i got a lot of uh cedar and again i don't know it's been in my humidor for actually months now i don't know how much of the cedar was picked up or how much of that's inherent in the cigar but man what a delicious offering that was it it was uh the the first third of this was uh was a, a little bit uh, baking spice and lots of coffee, mocha coffee flavor. Not really chocolatey at all, but mocha coffee. Usually you get those two together in a cigar when it happens. If you get coffee flavor, you usually have some right, chocolatey stuff. Right. This one really didn't have chocolatey going on. It just had that mocha. You're right. Those two uh, flavors are almost always present right. together. Almost, if you say one, you're almost always going to say there. This one had a lot of earthiness to it and everything. Mm-hmm. The pre-light on this uh, smelled uh, very earthy and a little bit coffee as well. And a little something I couldn't quite put my nose on, so to speak. But um, the draw on this was a hair type, but not bad, actually. Um, uh, let's see. After about a third of this cigar, the, the ash was as solid as could be. Actually, so since I was driving in my car, I actually had to tip the ash off so it wouldn't fall all over me and I'd look like that scene in The Big Lebowski. Right. Um, <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. Bing, Big Lebowski reference. One right, for the Dave show Walter. so far. Right, yes. There we go. And then, uh, anyway, so I went into the second third of this cigar. The flavor kept developing. I got more of the uh, more of the cinnamon, spicy kind of things going on. Almost like a hint of vanilla in the background. Lots of earth still tons of mocha the last third of this cigar ramped up the mocha to just a ridiculous proportion i mean it was like almost like espresso at that point uh coffee flavors and i really enjoyed it um i put this out actually kind of went out almost on its own right where i would have put it out myself so that was okay when i finally got rid of it i would have smoked it further if it stayed lit 
Um, if I wasn't driving in my car, I would have relit it probably and had another you know ten minutes on it. But I was fine with it, uh, right where we were. It's sm- it, it was dead even all the way down, even with my uh, sunroof open and everything oh, nice. like that. Yeah, absolutely enjoyable. Um, I believe this cigar is in the uh, nine to ten dollar range, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. Uh, I, I didn't look that up, so don't hold me to that. But I will tell you this: if it's at the nine to ten dollar range, it gets a solid six because it oh, was nice. fantastic. I would have paid thirteen dollars for this cigar, and not thought twice about it. Uh, I would have given it a solid five at that. So that's, if it costs less than that, it gets a, it gets it a gets plus point five bump. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Well, it's and it's one of the things that I love about the the price to quality uh, indexes because. When I hear you talk about a cigar and it gets something above a five, I immediately go, "Got to try that." If it's one that I haven't that I haven't tried, because yeah. because what you're telling me is you got more than you paid yeah. for on that bad boy. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I love that. That's a the good price thing. to quality, Adam. Just so you know, uh, we have a what we call a price to quality index where uh, one to ten, five is you get exactly what you pay for. So what what really so matters? So five is a great rating, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. whether it's a three dollar cigar or a twenty three dollar cigar, if you get a five, you got exactly what you paid for. Mm-hmm. And if you get more than five, that cigar is punching above its weight class, as a recent um, uh, 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 guest on our show would say. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, a six is actually like when you buy this, you know you're getting something a little better than what you're paying for. You mentioned earlier, you talked about you like the uh, Fuente uh, Hemingway series. I do, I do. You know, yeah. I would give almost every one of those a solid six in their price point because okay. mm-hmm. they're great. Yeah. You know, they're just, that's a and great And they're not cigar. a cheap cigar, but you always feel right. like you got your money's worth and a little more. Right. And they're yep. not even they're not even that expensive yeah. overall. Like no, those little short stories are little great short when you stories only have you a get, little time. Yeah, always enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, well, I had an interesting one uh this week it was the first time I had uh, tried the Cornelius and Anthony Daddy Mac Robusto. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and immediately I thought of, uh, uh, and this will show my age a little bit, but immediately I thought of Jump by Crisscross because one of the guys in Crisscross, and they were like, what, 12? Yeah. Uh, one was Mac Daddy, and the other was daddy mac yep, well this cigar that. is this cigar is uh, <laughs> is daddy mac uh this was one of the smokes that i had not ever tried before that was in my bag from the stogies wingding so i thought oh i'll try this out give me something uh, <clears throat> new and interesting to talk about on the show new to me at least uh brazilian wrapper ecuadorian binder uh, nicaraguan fillers a nice firm cigar medium brown with a just a, a tiny hint of that red that you were mentioning uh, in your cigar review yeah. not much but uh, just a little it certainly had a a rich look to the outer leaf and that of course you know kind of makes your mouth water you know you go oh this is going to be good you know uh so uh the pre-light was um a bit of wheat and hay with some earth not unpleasant but that was the sort of uh, uh, uh notes that i got so i used a v a v cut on it i lit it up uh, took a few minutes to develop, as some cigars do. You don't get a lot of uh, flavor other than just sort of the smokiness right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but got some cedar notes and uh, sort of an oakiness pretty quickly into it. Uh, the oak aromas continued all the way through the cigar uh, with a tiny bit of chocolate. It certainly wasn't a chocolate bomb, but I got a little of that in there. Uh, and some cedar notes and um, uh, some spice, uh, not pepper, but spice. Uh, and and more cedar. 
Uh, most outstanding thing I thought about this cigar was how well balanced the flavors were. It wasn't super complex, but it balanced like perfectly. You really kind of enjoyed just how they were all sort of meshing together without one of them nice. sort of overpowering the other. Uh, so I like that. Made for a, a, a very pleasant smoking experience. Uh, it was meat embodied, very enjoyable. Uh, construction was pretty good and even burn all the way. It did crack a little in the last third, which drives me crazy, but if it's in the last third you can almost forgive it. Could have, you know, had to put it out a little before I wanted to, but th- it could have even been uh, it almost gives humidification. You, gives you know? an excuse to try a second one just to see if it's <laughs> consistent or I like not. The way you think, yes, I like <laughs> the way you think. Uh, overall, I liked it, and I would smoke it again. However, it's a nine to ten dollar robusto. Now that's a little pricey for me because then I start thinking about all the eight dollar cigars that I now have to compare it to. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's a lot of cigars in the eight dollar price range that I love that I'm a huge fan of. I think of the uh, you know, the H. Upman by A. J. Fernandez mm-hmm. and, and some of those that are like kind of go to's for me in that price range. So then I start comparing it, well how's it compare to that? So uh, at an at a nine to ten dollar Robusto I, that's also a little pricey for a Robusto, I think, unless it's a knockout. Um, at seven bucks, I would rave about this. Uh, at nine to ten, price to quality, I'd say in between a four and a five. I don't want to. I don't want to say I was disappointed by it, but if I'm back in the cigar shop, I'm looking at the. Uh, Boxes. I'm seeing that it's ten bucks, and I'm thinking, do I want that for ten, or do I want this cigar over here for eight? Uh, I might, I might be inclined to go with the eight dollar cigar. So, so that's just me. I, it was very enjoyable, and those are the kinds of cigars I love getting when you go to something like the Wingding mm-hmm. or like a Big Smoke, and you get an assortment and you try things that you might not have bought. Uh, off the shelf, it just might not have ever been. That's also a good something you chose. Good you know? call for being part of like the uh, the cigar of the month uh, clubs. Yes, and things you're like absolutely that, right. You get to try stuff you'd never pick up at the shop. And you know, I used to be in that, and then I um, I lost my uh, credit card that that uh, was on, and so uh, I had to replace it. So the number was new, so it stopped sending. And I've never gone back and rejoined the cigar of the month club. I need to do that because you know, it's 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 usually a fairly good deal. You usually get a, you know, a decent amount of cigars for the price and uh, it's a great way to try new things. Makes an easy do, Christmas. Especially do Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm digging from whence you're rapping, my friend. Planting okay, seeds. Yeah, that's there. right. Okay. All right, Adam Harris from Beam Suntory is here. Adam is a uh, cigar fan as well. In fact, he just handed us right before the show started one of these uh, La Paulina Mr. Sam. So I'm very excited. I have not smoked this. Cigar I haven't either. I'm, I'm so pretty excited about that. I have a feeling you'll be hearing about this on a future show. Without question, awesome. So, uh, so we'll talk to Adam about that. We'll talk to him about uh, some amazing spirits. We'll do our first beer testing, and I got to tell you about this Advent calendar. It's all coming up. It's uh, smoking and toasting show number one hundred and eleven, and we will be right back. You're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing, by the way. Uh-huh, yes. We'll be talking to you uh-huh. next time. <laughs> Welcome back to Smoking and Toasting. It's show number 111. We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork uh, in Fort Worth. So uh, uh, on 
this show we you know we try to be as you know um, as balanced as as we can. Uh, we're very much advocates of. Uh, the craft beer industry and the spirits industry, particularly the uh, you know sort of craftier side of the of the spirits industry, um, and you know we're I'm constantly sharing with you stuff like oh craft beer sales are you know becoming a larger and larger part of the marketplace and uh, and so on and so on. So now I've, I've come across an article that basically is. All gloom and doom for beer. Oh no! Uh, but but I'll go ahead and share it because you know it, let, let's balance this out. Uh, beer sales across the country are declining, according to John Taffer, uh, the host of Bar Rescue. And John says there's one primary culprit to blame, and that's marijuana. Uh, he says, and again, he offers no figures here. Okay, this is just his his take. Uh, beer sales are way down right now, he says. They're in the toilet. Craft beer is down. Premium beer is down. We blame a lot of it on cannabis. The one thing he has to say, because he goes on to say that craft beer has lost its luster and the small boutique breweries have lost their luster and the beer category is in big trouble, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think things have shifted. I think you're seeing a lot of obviously you're seeing big beer sales continue to decline mm-hmm. and have every year um and then what i call medium beer which is the bigger craft beer mm-hmm. companies sam adams, sam adams guys, like, uh, yeah. guys like that uh those guys are struggling a little bit because of the shift to uh how much beer is being sold and consumed by neighborhood mm-hmm. craft breweries and when i say neighborhood a lot of these are places that don't even have product in stores right. but they are destinations and they make great craft beer now i remember like when I lived in Boston, um, you know, years ago, you know, there was Boston Beer Works, and you could go in and order sandwiches and pizza, and they made their own beer, and some of it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But this isn't that. This is places that are breweries first. That was kind of a restaurant that decided to uh, decided to have, to, to, have uh, to brew some beer on the side. Uh, this was uh, these days. If you go to some place like you know Brash. Or Eureka Heights, uh, although Eureka Heights is starting to become available. They just, in yeah, stores they just put now. their stuff on shelves. But, but awesome. you you go for the experience and 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 you sit, you know, in their uh, warehouse area or their outdoor area. Some of these have great outdoor areas. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are doing music, um, um, and they I, become destinations. You mentioned Eureka go, Heights; they have uh, beer and yoga. Well, there you go. See, that's perfect. Uh, and, and that's what, funny to me. And but. what goes together better? <laughs> right? uh, I got my center right here. Uh, so, so uh, I think I think that's shifting, and that's putting pressure on a lot of the you know the Sam Adams and the Shiners and people that are the bigger craft beer companies, uh, even if they're still fully independent in craft. And then, of course, you've got the um, the fact that big beer has bought a lot of uh, craft breweries, and so you're seeing. What's interesting is if you define something, if you still define, let's say, Carbach or Goose Island, which are both owned by Anheuser-Busch, if you do still call those craft beer, and I know a lot of people don't because of the ownership, but let's just say better than mainstream beer. Let's use that as the descriptor, right? Well, you're seeing a lot more shelf space for that at your local uh, grocery store because the Anheuser Bushes and the big distributors are using their you know their muscle mm-hmm. at retail to get more and more of that product on the shelf. So five years ago, if you went to Kroger, your beer choices were far more limited than they are today. You can go to a grocery store now and buy some 
really interesting craft beer that you've never tried, maybe only heard about, and there it is. And that's that's just not something that was an experience you could have. Before. I, you know, so I don't, I don't. It just popped into my head. I mean, I was actually paying attention to what you said, but also at the same time, I went on a little daydream there, and and saw myself walking into a macro brew, mm-hmm. i.e., Budweiser mm-hmm. or Miller, mm-hmm. and ordering a flight. A flight of Budweiser? Uh, that's just funny, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine? I'll get you on a flight right out of like, St. Louis. What, what are they going to put? What would they put on a flight? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Here's your, here, from left to right, you have your Bud Light. You he, have your he does. Light. He does say something I do find really interesting, though, in this article, uh, when he talks about how cannabis is uh, impacting uh, beer sales. You know, with uh, 29 states now have legalized medicinal usage for marijuana, and eight states in Washington, D.C. have legalized it just for pure recreation, don't have to have a, uh, a, a prescription for it. He says primarily users of cannabis stay home. And if you think about the fact that beer has really almost migrated to more of a social thing, yeah. You know what I mean? That people are going out to uh, Eighth Wonder, and they're going out to St. Arnold, and they're you know they're sitting in the tap room and enjoying it with their friends and trying new things. Well, if you don't go out, you're you're not as likely to be doing that. Now, obviously, a lot of people drink beer at home, but the 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 point I thought about uh, about pot was interesting. So uh, so I I don't necessarily buy into everything the article says. I don't think it's as grim a picture as he's painting. But well, it what, is, what could the actual percentages be? I wonder. Because how, like, I'm sure there's a there's a number out there. I'm sure it's a reasonably large number. But what are the percentages of people who are just going out and buying a bunch of weed and not drinking beer at all, I wonder? That would be an interesting survey. Or people that know. would have normally gone, you know, yeah, I'm going go to go to a bar and drink beer, to, I but now I'm going to go home friends, and, yeah. and, you know, hit my vape pipe most of the evening It's It's interesting. Certainly, uh, um, I guess that would also depend too on what video games are out, <laughs> to some degree, and what's in the pantry, <laughs> right? Uh, Who's got the uh, snacks? That's right. <laughs> uh, Adam Harris from Beam Centauri is with us. Adam, one of the things we do know definitively is that spirits, particularly what I like to call craft spirits or very distinctive uh, distilled spirits, are up. And my understanding, actually, from um, some of the guys that I've talked to in the spirits business is that unlike craft beer, the uh, sort of craftier side of spirits are not up at the expense of the more mainstream brands. The mainstream brands are chugging right along, uh, but we've seen a rise in, in the craft uh, in the craft side of things, uh, too. Is that kind of how you uh, see it out there? Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate description of the landscape. I think that our core brands, you know, when you think about things like Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, the, mm-hmm. the, the stalwarts of our portfolio, mm-hmm. uh, those are continuing to grow with no real sign of slowing as this whole bourbon you know, Renaissance mm-hmm, keeps growing mm-hmm. and the train keeps chugging down the track. Well, and even on those big ones, you've added some new expressions to those. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Makers, we've had a, we've got a great program with our single barrel private select mm-hmm. thing going on now. Uh, what we're doing with uh, the whiskey from the other distillery in Claremont at the Jim Beam Distillery with our small batch and things. We're really kind of pushing the envelope as far as uh, putting out these limited releases, these cast strengths, these really unique blends that we'll get into a little bit later. But it, it's given us a lot of uh, inspiration. I think just the success of the business overall at this point in our history has given us a lot of uh, inspiration and confidence to go off and try completely different things. And I think that our customers have trusted us for generations, but now with a a newer customer, I think that we see a 
a great bit of trust that's already been instilled just with our reputation. And now we see them looking to try our more premium things as well. I, I think there's a question. general shift in the way people have thought about uh, some of these brands anyway, because there was for a while where, you know, like my dad's generation, you uh -huh. find a brand that works and you, and stick, back with and you yeah. stick with that brand because there's a bunch of other stuff out there that's, that's subpar to yeah. it. Um, but I think the, that with with today's like there's so many good things coming out makes a big difference too and so someone who is a uh, maker's mark drinker is willing to try like the single barrel or the 46 or some of the other expressions that you have even though they're tried and true as this one they're willing to branch out a little bit because they trust your brand like yep. what you're saying yep and Until i think that that promiscuity is just kind of where we are right now it's exactly to the point you were just saying cruz mm -hmm. where when you go to the grocery store now there's just so much more different beer to choose from and mm -hmm. when you look at what the american whiskey section of you know we're in houston so let's say a specs mm -hmm. uh when that specs back then uh, 20 years ago what that looked like there was probably like five to ten bottles and now you see what the american whiskey selection at sure. a big store like that it's, can be it's and it's an entire lab. wall yeah, yeah exactly. exactly it's an amazing time i, I, I want to ask you another question about that but first of all for those who are not necessarily familiar explain to me exactly what beam suntory is and what your sure. What you're sort of just give us a thumbnail of what you represent your brands. Yeah, so Beam Centauri, we're a global spirits company. We make, uh, you know, we are, in my opinion, we're a, we're a whiskey company first. We make whiskey all over the world. We've got the first family of bourbon with the Beams. We've got the first family of Japanese whiskey with the Tories that make up our name of Beam Centauri. Mm -hmm. um, making whiskey all over the world as well as, well as spir uh, cognac, um, rum, tequila, uh, gin. You know everything everything inclusive more mm -hmm. or less but mm -hmm. uh what i do for our company is uh as an american whiskey ambassador i get to talk about the distilleries that we have in kentucky and that you know mostly includes uh, the jim beam distillery with all of our small batch bourbons there and a little bit of maker's mark as well too that's over great. there in loretto that's great so you mentioned you were mentioning the maker's uh uh drinker who's you know, branching out and trying maybe the, uh, uh, you know, the single barrel or, mm -hmm. or trying one of the uh, expressions. How, how much easier is it for you to market, let's say, uh, a more upscale Maker's Mark than it is to put something brand new out? Is there... Is there comfort with that? You know, because obviously Maker's Mark's a great product. Brand recognition, I mean, speaks pretty loudly. Um, yeah. it, it gives us the opportunity. We do like to base a lot of our innovations on brands that have success. So mm -hmm. whether that might be a Maker's Mark and what we've done with that over the last handful of years, or even with our Knob Creeks from the from uh, the Jim Beam Distillery when we're looking at well, you've doing done a something. great job with that brand, by the yeah. way. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. We're on. We've been doing the last two years with releasing the. And I think you got to try the 2018 uh, Cast Strength Single Barrel. <laughs> that's just out oh, of this it world. was killing me it was yeah. awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we put that on the heels of last year's uh same kind of specs on the the bourbon that we did for the 25th anniversary in knob creek and we're just continuing to do really really cool stuff and i think you know it's a little bit easier i think that that name recognition that trust again as i mentioned that that's already established and so being able to put something out there with those credentials and those specs and you know those big full flavored whiskeys bourbons and rye i think that people kind of uh they're easy to, to to go down the journey with us, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed mm -hmm. to just putting out some, something completely new. Not that I don't think there's not an opportunity to do something completely new, and uh, we do certainly have one of those in front of us now. But um, I, I like kind of building on the success of, of things that already have have trust and success, right. you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned um, using American whiskey as an example. Like it used to be, you know, one small section at a store like a Specs, and now it's an entire wall, or maybe even both sides of an aisle. Um, obviously, 
for specs as a retailer, they may have to think about building larger stores, having more space, because the same things happen in wine, the same things happen in... I mean, look at the beer section is so much bigger than it used to be. Oh, yeah. it, it takes more space to offer people the right amount of selection. And for you guys, it's like if you were just sitting there kind of cranking out your five or six sort of core brands... Would it be less expensive to do that? In other words, is it more expensive now, or does the does the rise in consumption actually you know pay it all off? I, I think it's kind of a. I think it still stays pretty balanced. I mean, our investments are up. You know, we right. want to make sure that we're putting out the right stuff in the right quantities for the people that want to have it. Yeah, and, and you got to you know uh, angle for shelf space and all of that stuff. Of course, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the word you used. Uh, both you guys use it earlier. Curating. You know, mm-hmm. I think that our job is to produce as good a product as we can for, uh, especially here with a with a the tier system as it is in Texas for uh, the folks that need to collect to have everything available, they can have it collected. And then also when you go into the the stores and the bars and the restaurants, give them the opportunity to curate their selections. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing. So for us to continue to do the best that we can with all of our whiskey and all the products that we make at Beam Centauri, and then to give that all those options to the folks that need to have everything under the sun that they possibly can as they instill those second and third rows, mm-hmm. as you were saying, mm-hmm. you know, and then give all those options to the world where they can go and as a bar owner that I want to have my precious selection, I can have the most well-curated selection of, you know, whiskey and agave right. or gin, whatever I want to do. I think that it's, it's a, I think it's a commitment to kind of realizing your role in that chain a little bit, you know? I want to swing us back to beer for just a moment because I want to try this Oktoberfest and then we'll get into sampling some of the things that you have, uh, you have brought with you. Uh, this looks like it will be our final Oktoberfest of the season. And I guess, Ian, that means we're going to have to start sampling Christmas beers now. Do you have a... I'm sure have, it'll be out in the next <laughs> week or so. <laughs> I'm sure they're already. They've probably been out since August. I'm so. okay with it. I still have a little bit of my keg of uh, uh, St. Arnold Oktoberfest left at my house. All right. So you did a keg of that? Yeah, I just went ahead and bought a keg. Nice, nice. <laughs> now, I didn't get a big sound effect out of the ballast point. I did open it right on the microphone, uh, but it was a fairly soft sound effect. So it'll be very interesting uh, to see how this one uh, holds up. We've had some great Mars and Lager this year, I will tell you. It's we have. Good, we've had, we've had very few misses. We've had a couple, but they're very yep. few. Yep. Uh, most, most people are doing a pretty solid October we're, fest out there. We're big fans of... The St. Arnold Oktoberfest, as we have uh, mentioned uh, numerous times on the show, and we found a worthy challenger to it this year, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the Bells Oktoberfest, which was uh, which was just fantastic. So you and I have both agreed in this, which is interesting because our beer tastes are actually a bit different, yours yeah. and mine. But on Oktoberfest, we seem to kind of uh, you know be right down the same path. I think uh, you've already done a little research on Ballast Points Dead Ringer, by the way. Uh, I'll show that to the camera. That's just great art. Ballast Point has yeah, awesome art. Their art is always yeah, outstanding. Awesome, really it? good, and I'm I'm partial to the whole skeleton motif, so I, I like that. Now, I will tell you, I don't buy as much Ballast Point as probably you do, because mm-hmm. I just don't do as much IPA, and they do a lot of IPA. And they do a great mention, job on the IPA. I just want to mention, their Sour Winch Blackberry Ale, oh, it's <laughs> one, of the best, one of the best sour ales I've ever had. So good. But please continue. So um, this right here is interesting, because this has a um, this has a bitterness to it that I wouldn't expect. Uh, yes. You don't smell it. It's not on a nose. It smells um, like a nice Mars, and it's got a good multi-profile, and it has a bitterness snap to the end of it that I really kind of enjoy. It's got more of that sort of baking spice uh, on the tongue it also has than some Oktoberfest, too. Definitely some of that to it as well. Um, I like this. I think this is good. This is drinkable. It's different from the other ones we've tried. 
Adam, I find that people who have good palates for whiskey are also pretty good at detecting uh, flavors and stuff in, in beers. Any thoughts on this? Um, I'm On the Oktoberfest category, I'm always trying to be, you know, I'm always looking to be surprised by it mm-hmm. because it's not always my favorite style mm-hmm. of beer, to mm-hmm. be honest. But I do agree that this has a very kind of almost rich chocolatey malt nose in a way, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into it, I think that those... Um, the baking spices are probably what pops the most mm-hmm. and just a really i will say that's good <laughs> i think my, my mind is being persuaded when about we Oktoberfest. Say, when we say baking spices by the way that's a very sort of a flowery you think of baking like uh, bread or or cookies yeah. sort of a flowery yeasty type of thing it's not spice in the sort of you know not uh, peppery peppery sense or in that sort of autumn spice uh, savory uh, savory thing type of thing the St. Arnold Oktoberfest has a bit of that autumn spice mm-hmm. to it uh, this is it has none of that at all no. It's all the sort of flowery, yeasty uh, sort of baking spice, but I do find it awfully refreshing. This this could almost have a little bit of cookie flavor too. Mm-hmm. I was going to say pastry. Mm-hmm. It's got a pastry yeah. thing kind of going now that it's yeah. finishing a little bit on my tongue there. I love it. I love it. So, uh, but it's it's actually like it's a it's a crispier snap on the back than I think most of the ones we've had. And what's interesting is it's still a good beer. It's not unbalanced or weird or anything. Like and that. I will tell you that uh, I think we have gone much stronger with Oktoberfest this year than we did last year. I'd say yeah. last year we maybe loved a third of them. I would say it's more like two-thirds or more this year that yeah. we've that we've been really fans of. And I would put uh, this one in that category, the Dead Ringer. I'm for uh, it. From, from Ballast Point. Uh, that's that's your best review ever, by the way. I'm <laughs> for it. I'm yeah, for it. I'm for it. Um, Adam, let's uh, let's shift back to whiskey now and sure. uh, talk a little bit about what you might want us to uh, to taste in in this segment. Well, I thought uh, we could have some fun. I'm going to ask you guys to read today. I brought a little book, which is our <laughs> straight whiskey blend. Um, yes. I brought Wait, both do chapters. Do I have to read before or after? Uh, how about book? just during? I think. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we'll do it during. So I did bring the the chapter one and the chapter two. I think uh, you know a lot of folks have had the opportunity to try chapter one, but one of the fun things we're able to do with our little book bourbon or little book whiskey is kind of show off uh, what Freddie know, uh, our eighth generation distiller, uh, what he's doing. Fred's son, you met Fred. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of showing off what he does with his palate as far as he's got a great palate it's a it's he's really uh, gotten a bit of a reputation for his palate early in his career and when he was challenged to come up with something of his own he didn't want to just sort of follow in the family footsteps of doing you know something higher proof or finding a single barrel series or anything like that he wanted to take a little bit more advantage of some of the different whiskey streams that we have at the distillery and uh, start to put together some of these straight whiskeys to blend something that was going to be completely mm-hmm. unique and completely new and uh, this started last year with the little book chapter one which was called the easy and it's a homage to bourbon in a way you know he didn't want to start off too esoteric he wanted to start off with a you know proud uh proud uh, anchor in his roots mm-hmm. and his heritage and so uh he wanted to create something that was very much on the nose with being a bourbon-esque uh blend so uh what we what we got here is we've got the the base whiskey that he used which is a four-year-old um jim beam bourbon and he tried different ages he tried eight years ten years all these things but he kept going back to that four-year profile at cast strength at about 115.13 proof and uh, this is going to make up about 65 percent of the blend that is little book interesting so say that again 65% of the blend that is Little Book is a four-year-old? A four-year-old 
Jim Beam at Cask Strength. So when okay. we make our Jim Beam bourbon, we distill it to be Jim Beam and then age it mm-hmm. specifically to be Jim Beam. Okay. Uh, our small batches will do differently. We make those to be small batch bourbons and then we age them in a different manner. Uh, kind of like stocking the fishing pond with the fish you want to fish for when you're going to fish for them. And so... Um, these are all just sort of whiskeys that have been done as experiments. Um, not the four-year-old, of course. That's going, that's going to be a white label bottle. But when we're looking at the other components that go into building up the rest of the 35% of this particular blend, then that's when it gets into some of the more interesting sort of experiments and one-offs. So what done. we're trying here is the same thing that goes into the white label proof down. It's, this is exactly so that white label will be a bigger blend. These are actually hand selected barrels that Freddie liked and he wanted to use these to kind of put that base together for this. Um, when we're going when we're talking about doing a larger release, some of those bigger blends, uh, that's going to be about a thousand plus barrels oh, that we're going to look into. So these are much more, uh, uh, dare I say, special barrels. Hand you know? selected, yep. yeah, yep. yeah. Hand selected for sure. Much more sense. deliberate uh, path for these guys here. Okay. And this is a fairly. Uh, it's delicious. It's a, a fairly straightforward. It's, you know, it's uh, predictable for Jim Beam, if you ask mm-hmm. me, and and not. Um, no, nah, so I do like the overproof of it, though. I, I yeah. like that, and it's got a. It's definitely got a little more um, okay. of the viscous or more oily kind of feel to it than you would generally expect. From and that's going to be uh, because of the non-chill filtration on that. So because of its proof. Uh, cast strength quality we don't have to chill filter it and nothing that we do with little book nothing that freddie's putting together with those blends whether they be now or in the future those won't be chill filtered either so that that fatty acid content still going to stick on your tongue and that's yeah. going to give you more of that viscosity more that, that nice roundness to it exactly. yeah. yeah that's something i really generally like uh in whiskey is when it does that because it really it, it's like you can feel that flavor just blossom in your mm-hmm. mouth yeah mm-hmm I've been saying a lot recently talking about uh, chill filtration and fat content in whiskey. I've been saying it's a lot like when you uh, when you put when you make popcorn at home and you have a certain omi- you have a certain mind to being a little more healthy than when you go to the movie theater. And so, <laughs> movie uh, popcorn at home versus uh, when the movie theater just lathers on the butter for you, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. it just sticks on your tongue and it and it tastes so good. You know, having that extra bit of flavor is, uh, I guess, when you say non chill filtered spirits, are like movie theater popcorn. Right? <laughs> there you uh, go. Uh, makes sense. Makes sense. I actually just uh, tossed sashries on my popcorn. Yeah, that's see? good. Yeah. That works. Yeah. The next thing we have um, is going to be what really sort of substantiates the rest of the blend. And so kind of wanting to create a bourbon, uh, something with an homage to bourbon, as I said, he started off with that base of that four-year-old, but then he started to find all the bis- the basic building blocks of bourbon, which are going to be corn, rye, and barley. And he went mm-hmm. out and found straight whiskeys that we had aging in the warehouses, and he began to put a little composite of a bourbon mash bill on top of that four-year-old. So what you have in your glass right now is going to be a straight corn whiskey. This tastes very corn. It's a hundred percent corn whiskey. A lot it's, of body. Yep. Fourteen years old. A lot of old. sweetness too. Yep. Yeah, very sweet. And it cast strength one hundred and thirty-three point sixty-nine. <laughs> I'm glad you brought little cups. Um, um, <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question. You were talking about palate. You were talking about um, uh, like how he's using his palate to figure out what exactly he wants to blend when he's trying to uh, come up with this little book blend. Obviously, it's possible to improve your palate by, you know, tasting over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, my palate has improved since I, you know, started tasting things, whether it's food or, or uh, whiskey or beer, whatever. But do you feel like for someone who's in a position like he is, is is palate to some degree a gift? Is it like being able to, I mean, you can learn to play guitar, 
But Al DiMiola didn't learn how to do <laughs> what he does. You know what I mean? Eddie Van Halen didn't just learn sure. how to play. There's a gift involved there. Do you do you look at palate as as the same thing? The guys that are in these master uh, distiller, master blender uh, places. I would uh, completely agree with you. I think that you know, for, as somebody that has a medium to decent palate, um, mm-hmm. and I and I like to try everything I can. I try to smell and taste everything I possibly can, and I and I still acknowledge that I have a medium to to decent palate. Um, I think that when you're truly gifted, like anybody's truly gifted, it comes from somewhere that you can't train and you can't uh, exercise. And I think that. Uh, I would say that Freddie's definitely got a gifted palate. Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you, after after speaking with some of our guests, guys like Eunice, I feel like my palate is just just barely learning to yeah, walk. I, I, I uh, totally you know? agree. Like, ever watch a kid just barely learning to walk and he's all off balance? That's that's well, where I feel like I'm at. Yeah. If you time. think about it, Ian, if you go back to the earliest shows, your description of what you smoked that week, because we've been doing that since we started smoking and toasting, I would say, hey, did you smoke? Unless we're live somewhere and smoking mm-hmm. on the show, say, hey, did you smoke anything interesting this week? Your descriptions of the cigars have gotten much more detailed. Now, yes. I don't know whether that's because you have you know, gotten to a place of talking about it more freely or I think, whether I think, your palate has maybe developed well, where you're detecting it, more Part stuff. of it's probably a little both. I think after you experience enough things, you start to develop a taste for them. Mm-hmm. You start to understand what you're tasting. And then to be able to express that is, a, is another kind of skill, I think, yeah. that you create after a while. Yeah. If you're smoking, you know, your first or second cigar and you read a v- review that talks about, you know, uh, a hint of lemon pepper zest and you're like, what? Uh, you know, that just means your palate's not, you, you're not used to that yet. And sometimes I have to tell you, some of the cigar reviews I read, I'm like, I'm sorry, but they're just making shit up. <laughs> there, there, there is no Absolutely way. Absolutely true. You know, I, well, and I, I, I how many words with, do I need to, to describe this? Yeah. Okay, I'll do the, it. I get you with the mocha and the, uh, and right, the cedar. Right. Like, yeah. sure, sure. And maybe I just, maybe these guys really do have that much more developed a palate <laughs> than me. But seriously, you got like, like I've even had, I've even seen reviews where they've named not just chocolate, but a particular brand name of mm. chocolate. Like seriously, yeah. yeah. When, I, when I do well, tastings, I never, I, I never tell people what to taste, just because you know when you start really those yeah, leading, yeah. leading the, uh, leading the witness yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you don't want to influence what they're tasting, mm-hmm. and you know, if you taste marzipan and sweet potatoes in something, and somebody else doesn't, you don't want to yeah, tell them that because they think they're doing like, it wrong, and there's no way well, to do I work, this wrong. I work at trying to get my point across because not everybody has a has the uh, skills of Mattias Horseman, who it doesn't actually. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met this guy, but it doesn't matter what. What he's talking about you're just enamored you're like what yeah you just keep talking it's so interesting you just keep talking uh, it's like shirley manson the lead singer from garbage i don't care you you read the phone book i don't care just keep talking um, so uh you you mentioned um now this one is very unique compared to the other two. yeah i was gonna say you mentioned uh, marzipan and sweet potatoes and oddly enough that's exactly what i'm getting on this third <laughs> sample uh you know it's funny i say actually i taste a lot of chocolate in this yeah uh, actually i do what is this that we're tasting now. Well, this is going to be that second. This is going to be if you were looking at a bourbon mash bill. This would be your flavoring grain. This would be your rye whiskey. So this is a mm-hmm. six-year-old rye. This is a seventy percent in the mash. A six-year-old rye that's coming out at one hundred twenty-five point seven five proof. And wow. this is going to yeah. <laughs> uh, so we started with the base. Of course, at this proof, maybe we're just scalding our tongues. Yeah. Well, it could be. We started with the base, then we went to the uh, the corn, and now the rye. Yep. And so, mm. what would that leave for the third component there? 
mm. or for the fourth component, I suppose. The marzipan and sweet potato, I believe. Hey, yeah, we need the, uh, <laughs> need the brulee torch. Yeah, this will be... Um, this one has notes of marsupial sweat and <laughs> yeah. I've re- I'm not kidding. I've read reviews. I, yeah, I know. Were, I've heard what you're that talking were that about. ridiculous. It's like, uh, come on, dude. You just write a blog. I mean, I have nothing against people who write blogs. But, well, that's why. That's uh, why when uh, when Charlie was on from Half Wheel, I appreciate his blog so much because oh, because they're very realistic. Real yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I but th- I like if you're going to try and get into you know a room with folks and you want everybody to speak the same language eventually. I think that you know the advice I give is to paint a very broad stroke. You know, use a very mm-hmm. broad stroke and say sweet, spicy, oaky. You know. Uh, look at those words whiskey good whiskey good yes and then <laughs> this you, one is the sweetness in everything so this yeah. is going to be the malt right so this will be our malted barley and this so is no six wonder years you old. like this one ian because yep. you're a malt head you <laughs> totally yeah. i love yeah. you malt. love malt yes it's 100 yeah. malt too do you ever get like a real malt from a like a malt shop yes. kind of thing? oh it's remember amazing. when you'd be into it and you get that little uh, that little the ball little of malt that, yes. that is dry in the middle. You get that little, the little dryness. Love that. Yeah. Do you remember when malted milk balls were actually malted yes. milk balls? Yes. That's what I loved them, and mm-hmm. then they changed and got weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Whopper. Is that what that is? So, Whopper, yep. right? so yep. somehow I get the impression that if I were to pour all four of these samples together, I would not. I, was, I would not get what you're uh, about to show us here. As I was the, just about to ask that if <laughs> if I if I can if I can manipulate these small tasters just enough well i would have to say that that's where the uh the the wonderful palate and the and the developing expertise come into play for what freddie's doing here because with with a palate when you're doing this and i think it's the same for um guys who are uh the master brewers uh at for beer as well you have to actually project what this combination of flavors is going to bring not it's not about what they bring when you first combine them because there's going to be some aging involved and it isn't always going to be you know conditions aren't always there are different conditions you can you can put them in what kind of barrels you age them in and so on so i'd say this is a much more direct uh, what 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 he plays around with or what he puts together is pretty much what's going to hit the shelf in the bottle. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of you know there's no any at this point there's no sort of secondary conditioning or anything like that. It all goes from the liquid streams go into a blend and then that's what he makes a decision and then they move from there. I have to say it's fascinating to do a deconstruction like this because when I taste this final product, I can like I've educated my palate to a small degree where I can start picking out what parts of this I'm tasting out of these other tasters that you gave. That's me. The, and I, that's it's the idea of doing something. Fascinating. Like this. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting how they blend because I don't think that any one of these had a very cinnamony kind of flavor, but this has when it blends together has a little bit of cinnamon in it that I didn't detect individually in any one of those. Yeah. I was just about to say this is another of those instances where the sum is greater than the total of its parts. I agree. I mean, I think that everybody that tries that 13-year-old corn whiskey didn't realize how much they need 13-year-old corn whiskey in their life, but mm. um, <laughs> you know, when you put uh, when you put all them together, I definitely think that the sum is is greater. Now, is this pre-aged and is and what what's the So proof this would on be this? this is just a combination of the three so, right. or a combination of the four, excuse me. So we're looking Looking at uh, the youngest age of all four components is going to be six years old. So if we were going to label it, we had to put six years old on it, but we don't. It's a no-age statement whiskey. Um, and this is when it comes into the barrel, or when it comes in the bottle, excuse me, it's going to come out at 120.88. So wow. just under 121. Wow. And is that how, you, that how you'll bottle it and sell it? That's how it was, yeah. So that was wow. just... Uh, you're you're going to want to work on the label a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, lab, the lab samples <laughs> the not as, not as sexy as some of those craft yeah. beer cans that What's, are coming out I'm going right? to put this up there because it's super neat to see it that yeah. way, too, though. That's, that's incredibly cool. 
Yeah, it really is. See, all we're speaking about uh, craft beer art, and I know it's not necessarily yes. craft, but something came. Uh, Planters did a did a yes. beer. Did you see that can? That's like yes. one of the coolest. It's, it's, That's a, it's cool a can. Mr. Peanut can. Uh, they're doing. It's a limited release with a brewery, I believe, in Chicago, and it it is how a, cool is a that? Peanut based. Uh, I think it's a stout. And it's, uh, but it's a planter's, no, I'm sorry, it's an IPA, because it's called Mr. IPA Nut. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a can, though. What a can. Yeah. Oh, it's one of the greatest cans you've ever seen, because it says, well, you know the Mr. Peanut. Right, right. Well, basically, it's just like the monocle. And then, like his head from here to here, and that's the whole nice. thing, you know. Uh, but it's it's actually very cool. So I haven't um, seen this. I haven't, is fascinating. Thank you so much. You're it, very so. welcome. That's just yeah. chapter one. We got chapter two to go. I can tell uh, you uh, the, the the last two components of chapter one. I could just sit and enjoy by themselves yeah. all yeah. day. I could enjoy all of the components by themselves <laughs> all day. Well, uh, I, but, I was picking yes, two but, favorites out of it. But I will tell you this uh, again. As much as it was interesting to taste all of the components individually this is certainly one of those things where what you get when you put them all together is so much more interesting and so much more complex and uh really kind of leaves you leaves your palate kind of searching kind of ticking yeah. through the different flavors and that's that's what makes it so interesting i you know? couldn't necessarily say i don't think i could possibly do that the way that freddie did it you know and and i've uh, freddie just turned 31 last uh this past september and so we got together to try this sometime last year and he had just kind of more or less gotten the keys of the car when his dad handed over and said you'll be the distiller and fred's still our master distiller but freddie's a distiller in training as the eighth generation there and uh when we tried this together and he lent he's he took us all through the tasting just like we sort of did and i looked at him and had a, had a bit of a quizzical look on my face and he's like what he's like you sure you did this <laughs> he goes, yeah, I did this, and See, he kind of he kind of holds that against me to this would, day. But. I would be a terrible master distiller because I would be just all trial and error. Okay, let's try this, this, and this. Uh, okay, that didn't work. Let's try this, this, and this. That's what you do, though. That's I mean, called, that's, that's, that's called not unlike what he's doing. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> and on that note, we'll take a quick break, uh, and we'll be back to try some more. Um, uh, is an, is this next one going to be a deconstruction as well? If you don't mind. We would love that. All right. Uh, so we'll be back for that. And Moody Tongue has a new Pilsner called Peeled Grapefruit. We will try that next on Smoking and Toasting. Thank you for joining us for show number 111. I was pouring you somebody got a little lost in the, uh, <laughs> in the passing around there, Adam. Sorry. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. We are so glad to have you here for show number one hundred and eleven. Uh, it's spirit time, whiskey time, actually, uh, with Beam Centauri. And I know we broke down Little Book. Now, is this is this next one Little Book as well? Yes. Yeah, so the first okay. one we did in the last segment was Chapter One, uh, the Easy. And so okay. this is Chapter Two, and this is the one that's just now kind of hitting, you know, Texas. But as we speak to the world here, um, this is the first time that I've had a chance to do a deconstructed tasting. Uh, outside of the distillery with Freddie, um, oh, nice. with anybody else. So oh, you guys are getting the first first crack at fun all the fun, interesting <laughs> uh, components that go into making Little Book Chapter 2, no small task. Well, we are looking forward to that. No and, easy task, and Chapter 2 is always, I think Chapter 2 is the hardest. It's like the band's sophomore album. Yeah, Correct. It's, it's like the first movie sequel. Like It's like, how do you recreate 
the goodness that was <laughs> that first one that got you to the point where right. the sequel was ordered, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I think it's I think it's the hardest one. Um, I was reading the other day that you know so many bands fizzle out on their second album, but out of the ones that actually make it past their second, the third you kills you know yet another like big round uh, of those. I just think it's hard to consistently continue to produce super high quality product but it seems like in the well, whiskey world so the 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 problem with that is in bands whiskey whatever we're talking about the problem with that is if you set up an expectation your first album your first whiskey whatever when you come out with your sophomore one it's going to be compared to the first one and there's a lot of people who go well if it's not like the first one then i'm not going to like it yeah. right right but then, if you're an artist, you want it to. You want to grow and do something a little grow different. Grow and do yeah. something different. Yeah. But if you go too radically off of that, MGMT. then your original audience isn't even going to get <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. The second you know. MGMT albums didn't even sound like the same band. Like, right. just, that's so just, you can go yeah, the ACDC right. route and do the same and album do the every same time. same thing every time and be consistent. And people loved it and it worked for them. But And they yeah. rocked, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but some, yeah, some people don't <laughs> survive that. <laughs> but, but, but they're not a big critical favorite necessarily. I mean, over right. time, the critics had to sort of begrudgingly acknowledge what they'd accomplished. Yeah, they, but, you know. <laughs> just... Just for just for absolute tenacity by yeah. the end of it, jeez. Or or you can be back and do a completely different style of album every time you know you go into the studio. So there's the kicker there is he yeah. does it well though. Well, you know, yes, that's, you're that's absolutely it. right. But and, Beck, and I would hope- Beck has a smaller audience than ACDC too, so you're limiting your audience to yeah. a degree. That's and true. I'm not saying Beck is small potatoes or anything by any means because he's AC/DC, not. But yeah, ACDC, yeah, you know, right. oh, that's. That's a good point. Um, so I uh, I know what I want you to get me before Christmas, Ian. All right. It's the new 24 Days of Christmas tequila advent calendar. <laughs> we talked about the Jack Daniels advent calendar last week. This one appeals to me even more. Uh, it is uh, from Drinks by the Dam, and it offers 24 bottles of 30-milliliter fine and limited edition tequilas. I'm only going to give you a few of these. Uh, Don Julio Añejo. Casamigos Blanco. Uh, there is uh, Luna Azul Añejo. Uh, Don Futano Añejo. Ocho Extra Añejo. Ocho Single Barrel Añejo. El Jimador Reposado. Don Julio 1942. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Heredura uh, Reposado. Again, I'm only giving you a few of these. And Gran Maracame Extra Añejo, which wow. I have not had and really Okay, so try. what's the price on this advent calendar? Do we Let know? Or do we have a ballpark? If I can, uh, if I can find this because uh, I'm, I'm Cause reading curious Because that's, that's a lot of pedigree. It's $163.26. That's not that bad. For no. 30 days for of... For 30 days of tequila. 24. Tequila? No, well, 24. 24, 24 days, bottles. Sorry, yeah, 24 bottles of 30 milliliters a piece. But just think, here's what I love about this, because this is like, this is the ultimate flight. Yeah, absolutely. This is like the greatest flight ever, (laughs) you know, because it's got uh, 24 different uh, tequilas for you to try. It's a hot air balloon around the world kind of flight, I think. (laughs) So this is better than a Budweiser flight where it's 24 cans of the same thing? (laughs) Most things are better than a Budweiser flight. Oh, and by the way, if you don't like the Budweiser, then dilly dilly. Yeah, right. Uh, we'll, we'll. Sorry, I had to take it there. We'll, we'll go there. Uh, we'll go there as much as we, as much and as often as we can. So. If I stay on that subject, he'll he'll start getting. Yeah, see, I, I start getting course correct. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's right. I still, I still. We can fire him up. There's a few. There's a few target buttons. Well, I'm sorry, but if, if you are going to try to get me to buy your craft ish product, mm-hmm. some of which is very good, by the way. 
then stop airing commercials making fun of the craft drinker. I'm sorry. For your mainstream product. For your mainstream product. Talking out of two sides of your mouth. Right, right. It's one or the other, Budweiser. It's one or the other. That's all I'm saying. Uh, And I don't have any problem with them taking that position. It's actually probably a good idea for a way to sell Bud Light. Well, the people that go around shouting dilly dilly all the time probably don't think that far through it. The people who go around shouting dilly dilly all the time are not people that I want to drink with anyway. So that... That would probably you have, not, you have now laid down the law. I've, you really have. You've uh, you've maybe alienated some audience. It's now. No, they're know. no Nat Sherman, but I will. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, no, I said that in jest. Now, so I know Chris Hart and our our uh, uh, good friends that are you know that have been on the show and in defense of the Nat Sherman boys. I know I just like probably yanked on their chains and I didn't I didn't mean to. Sorry, Alan. Uh, but uh, anyway. Uh, this might be a good time to pop the top on a little grapefruit pilsner. What do you think? <laughs> See what I did? I love you. Did. you he, got him revved up there. He's, he is the puppet master. I'm telling you. Ian, <laughs> I'm just Ian the devil on the one this. shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've asked you to try the other shoulder, and you steadfastly refuse. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about you, except that you may be one of my better friends in the whole world. Um, all right. So uh, this is Moody Tongue's peeled grapefruit. Pilsner. Now, I will say that Moody Tongue, which is out of Chicago, these guys don't make it easy on themselves. They don't just go, here's our IPA, here's our blonde, here's our porter, here's our stout. They really kind of uh, up the ante. And I'm going to say Moody Tongue, I think, is a little bit like uh, Dogfish Head in that way, that they just go where they want to go. Well, that's right. And they uh, nothing they do is, shall we say, an ordinary beer. Everything has got a real uh, a real sort of a twist to it. I think I like the carbonation and on that. That's pretty I'm awesome. just about. I was just about to say. Remember when we had the caramelized chocolate churri? Caramelized chocolate churro. Chocolate churro. Uh, porter. Something. Yeah, uh, yeah, something porter. It was chocolate porter. That was one. Now, whatever it is. Yeah, it, that was, that that was, was one of the uh, one of the earlier beers we ever reviewed on the show. Mm-hmm. And I remember we both freaked out on it. Oh yeah, uh, I bought is, more. This is. As carbonated a beer as I've seen in a while. It's almost Zippy. it's almost carbonated enough to compete with Ranger Creek because their <laughs> beers are all very, very carbonated. But I'm pouring this very carefully into these uh, into these cups, and we're getting just tons of foam. Now we talked mm-hmm. about why that's important, uh, but I have I, I'm just wondering if it might not have something to do with the grapefruit. If that might not be why, I don't know. because the other Moody Tongue beers that I've tried. Are not nearly as uh, as as carbonated. As Maybe those. it's carbed appropriate to what they thought the flavor profile needed. Because I'll I'll tell you, like carbonation can be too much for some beers, and it can be not enough for some beers. You like how I did that? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right, uh, Ian. I do. Uh, I want to mention, by the way, while I'm waiting for this uh, fizz to die down, so we can sample <laughs> this beer. Uh, I want to mention that I returned to uh, last week. Uh, speaking of Moody Tongue. I returned to a beer that we have tried on the show before, reviewed, and I remember really liked, and it's the Moody Tongue Applewood Ale. Yeah. And I'd like to say that, and I don't know how much we went into this in the uh, in the review that we did of it on the show, but Moody Tongue has succeeded with that beer, with the Applewood Ale. They have succeeded in bringing together two amazing things that you didn't think would ever work well together uh, in, in a beverage. Yeah. And that's... Beer and bacon. Hmm. It does. You wouldn't want a bacon flavored beer, or at least I don't think you would. I, I love eating bacon and drinking beer, but 
the applewood flavoring in that is as close as you can get to the marriage of beer and bacon. I was a little wow. late on that. When you said you love eating bacon and drinking beer, I was just going to say, that's called breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we've had the carbonation die down enough. You had a nice the, little Solera on, system going with your yeah. foam there. For a <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> uh, you know, don't try this at home, kids. Or, or do. I, I want to point out, if the camera didn't catch it, by the way, he poured uh, a little over poured one glass and it foamed over the glass, so he just held that foam over the other glass. Yeah, and it worked. It. it worked. No spill, no yeah, problems. No spill, no problems. Uh, so Moody Tongues, peeled grapefruit. I love the way it, they describe it. It's got a too. funk to the smell that I kind of enjoy, but they, they kind of do that too, you know? Uh, well, I will admit I've had this before because I couldn't wait to get to the show to try one. Um, it's got bits of grapefruit. Does it really? Maybe. Oh, I think it does. Unfiltered. Yeah. Look, at, look at the top of mine. I think it does. Yeah. Yes. That's why it's peeled. I mean, <laughs> and you tell me I bring chunky beer. Mm. Well, in this case, I love it. I think this is as refreshing a uh, citrus beer this is as outstanding. I've had in a long, long time. Uh, you know, I usually see something this carbed, and I'm initially like, Meh. I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree. I don't usually like Too the bubbly, heavily I mean, carbonated. Zima is beer. like that. Right, right. I like a little carbonation, but... Uh, but That's right. I mentioned Zima on yeah, our you show. Did. Yeah. You did. That makes us legit. That, that gives us uh, street cred. And now you can't unmention it. <laughs> uh, I like this a lot. It's it's super refreshing, and I g- totally get the peeled grapefruit flavor. I mean, it really... But it's not. But yet it's not a sour beer. No. Uh, which is interesting. This is delicious. This is absolutely... I, the, the nose is so interesting. Like I said, there's a little it's bit of multifruited. Funk in a it's great, not just in a great way. It's got um, it's got that grapefruit. It's got lots of citrus overall. Like it makes you leaves your mouth going. I want more of that. Yeah. In in typical uh, Moody Tongue fashion, they don't tell us a lot about this except that it's a four. If I'm reading the bottle right, four point six percent ale, and that they are. I'm sorry, uh, Pilsner, and that they are from Chicago, and that's about all they tell us. I think that. Uh, um, the peeled grapefruit really comes in when you get the because you can definitely taste the pith a little bit. You know, right. taste I know the what white you're of the rind about. there. Yes, yeah. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, I it is. It's interesting because this doesn't taste anything like I think of the other beers that we've tried and that I really enjoyed that have a grapefruit uh, vibe to them. The uh, Saint Arnold uh, Art Car IPA is an right. example, or uh, Carbox Big and Bright has got uh, a grip. But this doesn't taste anything like those. It's not even. A, it doesn't even feel like it's in the same family. And maybe that's because no, those this, are ales. And this the has Pilsner. grapefruit in the same way that when you buy one of those, uh, when you buy one of those Lacroix waters. It has that essence of the flavor right. in there, right. but it's not it's, sweet, and it's, it's not, not like, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah. This I know exactly has that kind mean. of essence of the grapefruit kind of flavor going with it. Available in four. And packs. it makes it not obnoxious. I really like that about it. It's a good beer. There it's is the great. Moody Tongue, by the way. That's uh, that's. Quite, you are directly affecting sales because I'm going to buy that. Yeah, well, yeah. And we've talked about this before, that smoking and toasting does directly impact sales, and so today will be a perfect. You'll pick up some of that on the way home, I bet. Is that easy to find? Yeah. Uh, a pretty pretty easy at this yep. point. I think it just kind of hit stores, at least in our. I've area. seen it like in the last week or two, mm-hmm. okay. and, and I looked at it. And I, anytime I see Moody Tongue, I'm always like, I probably should. Um, <laughs> and they're always, you know, I don't know why I, I even balk at it because they're, you know, it's a ten dollar. A lot of times it's a four pack. Was that a four or six? Yeah, four. It's a ten dollar four pack, which is a little pricey, but their beers are always that kind of good. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they're just good. Seventy percent of the time that I drink a beer, I'm drinking it for refreshment. 
and so that's that yeah, kind of fits the, the profile. Right yeah. yeah, yeah, fits the profile. I get it. I get it. All right, I tell you what we're going to do. We are going to take a quick break and come back in our next segment. We are going to be trying the chapter two, but it's going to be deconstructed. So we'll go step by step with it, just like we did uh, with chapter one on on the little book. So, and chapter two is is out is going to be out. It is. What's it's just the, now coming out. It's called the No Simple Task, and it's a completely different animal than the than the the easy, which was that homage to bourbon using exclusively mm-hmm. American whiskeys. This is when we're going to start seeing uh, what what one can do when they have the resources of a of a global spirit. Oh, I'm excited! I'm excited! All right, nice. that'll be coming up in our next segment. Plus, uh, we still have a little uh, a little founders to taste, so we'll be looking forward to that coming up. You're listening to Smoking and Dustin. That is really delicious. That's that's an outstanding left. If anybody wants to bring a fun drink, so yeah, I've actually had. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. We are so glad to have you on the show. I'm, I'm said. I don't know. Was I supposed to pass this to Adam, or was, that, or was this my? I may be drinking Adam. Have you been uh, drinking whiskey. all of Adam's uh, too? I think I may have. No wonder this is so. so good. We've tried nine. You're uh, going on eighteen. Uh, so yes, welcome back. Exponential we are type situation. You are now here. rolling in the deep. We are smoking and toasting. <laughs> Thank you, Adele. Uh, we are smoking and toasting number one. Uh, smoking and toasting number one eleven. Uh, we are brought to you by B and B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston. And the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Uh, Adam Harris is here from uh, Beam Centauri. And Adam, your job specifically is to deal uh, with Beam Centauri is specifically dealing with American whiskey. American right? whiskey, that's right, yeah. exactly. Yes. And, and you are the bourbon vivant, I see. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Is American whiskey the fastest growing segment of the uh, whiskey market do we know it feels like it is but i don't know that that's true yeah i, I think when you when you look at the the scale i think we are the biggest growing mm-hmm. section of it i think Seems irish like had a more moment new stuff coming out sure that's that's american whiskey and i think when you look at the smaller distilleries you know micro mm-hmm. distilleries craft distilleries whatever you want to call them i think you see a lot of uh a lot of growth coming from that segment too. You know, because obviously most whiskey needs to age before it is uh, released to the market. I'm just wondering what things are going to look like three years from now. Yeah, <laughs> you know how much stuff is out there right now in barrels somewhere that we have no idea. Yeah, it could look pretty uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I and see, I, I love that viewpoint because you know a lot of guys in in Europe position would go oh gosh here we go with a bunch more like amateurs and new competitors and yeah. whatever uh but i think you understand that the more that this thing grows as a whole the more it benefits everybody i think well, so. not only that but it takes someone with a with a global company company like yours and uh and encourages you to stretch outside of what you've been doing, like we talked right. about earlier. Yeah. You know, step Absolutely. outside of that. That okay, we only do this expression. Now well, you're now you're going okay. Now we have these, we have these, and you end up with a little book, which is when amazing. You, when yeah. you've got you know companies like uh, Monte Cristo and H. Upman going, we need a cigar that's blended by someone like AJ Fernandez because yeah. that's not what our core blends are like. Their core blends are very very good. But now they're recognizing that there's this other market out there, and that it's active, and they need to be a part of it. And so they get AJ to do that. And that's in the cigar business, I think, a little bit like what's uh, what's happening in the whiskey business. When you've got makers uh, releasing the kind of expressions that you're doing there, it's a it's a good indication that the market has expanded and shifted, and you're looking to take advantage of a very trusted brand name that makes a great 
wonderful solid product and go hey you want to take it to the next level here yeah. we go you hey know? try this now yeah yeah, no, yeah I, and i love that uh, we've given ourselves permission to have a little more fun i think how 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 much bigger is makers than little book obviously it's a lot bigger but like what's the ratio oh, it's well i mean if you look at the home of little book which is coming out of claremont the gym beam distillery mm-hmm. and then if you look at makers mark then you would say that the size of the you know, the volume that we can produce in Claremont is almost twice that that we can produce in Loretto. But then when you look at, you know, batch to batch and bottling to bottling, the little book is, is completely, it's what's one of our tiniest batches that we do. And it's a very then, small release. And then Jim Beam would be even larger than Correct. Than, than now, that, how so. easy is the little book going to be to find on the shelf? Like, can I go down to any uh, liquor store and just find it? Or is it going to be allotted to specific places? And what's the price point going to be? It's going to, uh, I will say it's going to be around an $80 price point, I okay. believe. Um, I think that's that's kind of that was the standard we set with the first release. With, I think it's uh, solid. Easy. I think that's yep. a great. Bottle we don't want whiskey. it to be, you know, uh, prohibitively expensive, but we also want it to get what it's worth. You know, um, and and I think we try to price per what it's worth. You know, uh, the, what is it the uh, PDQ price to quality PDQ? Well, yeah, right? PDQ, that's what we try right. to do. We try to do yeah. the PDQ. Um, is is there a sweet spot? Uh, is there a, a place where um, you're most likely to be successful in terms of pricing forgetting for a moment what it costs to make the whiskey sure. but is there is there a particular price point that like this is where the majority of the sales are going to uh, come into not including by the way the the really cheap cheaper mainstream you know right. shelf stuff but, right. but i'm talking about in in more uh, in more craft type of stuff is it is it $30 is it $40 is it $80 I think depending on how you shop, I think you could probably find something that would scratch your itch twenty five to twenty five to forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then when you want to go something a little more special, you start climbing that exactly. uh, that ladder. I know whiskeys can certainly get in general a lot more expensive than uh, the rums would do. For example, you can find a real not not the the super ultra premium like they have them in the lock case rums, uh, but you you can find you know the equivalent to the rum world. Of uh, maybe an eighty ninety dollar bottle of whiskey for probably forty or fifty dollars sure. until yeah. rum uh, truly finally has its moment. Finally, you know? yeah. it finds its moment in the yeah. sun. I think that's coming, by the way. Yep, I, I really do. But but currently, whiskey is of all the uh, darker spirits uh, is certainly the one that's on the biggest uh, explosion curve, right? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. without a doubt. All right, so let's uh, let's break this down. What are we What are we trying here? So this is going to be Little Book Chapter Two, and this is called No Simple Task. N O E Simple Task after the family name there. Oh, yeah, and yeah, um, this is a departure from what Freddie was trying to do with the first release of Little Book, which was really that homage to the bourbon, which was apparent after going through the components of the four-year base with the corn whiskey on top and then the rye and the barley, uh, malted barley whiskey from there. So what we're doing here is we're taking advantage of not just what we can do in the U.S. at our distillery in Claremont, but also our sister distilleries around the world. And this is where we start to get a little Canadian rye involved. So yeah, from uh, our yeah. distillery in Walkerville, uh, we have some really cool Canadian ryes coming in. And Freddie, again, with his palate, has decided to uh, put together a collection of two out of two out of three whiskeys are going to be rye whiskey. So uh, this first one that we're going to try is a 40-year-old Canadian whiskey. And this is actually 100% corn. So this what do you is mean not by going to? <laughs> well, we're gonna. <laughs> uh, 
As I notice the volume in your glass, yeah. As we will continue to try this uh, wonderful 100% corn, 40-year-old whiskey. Uh, this comes to us in the blend. It goes in at 137.8, and it was actually distilled up to 95%. So it's uh, it kind of exceeds that, that boundary that we can do in the U.S., which is only uh, our max off the still here is 160 proof, whereas Wait, global you can go up to 190. So Wait, this so is you quite mean, a bit. You mean the Canadians can kick our ass with the proof? But then they usually have to add some other stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> Just making sure. This is so malty and delicious, I, I blame, by the way. I blame Canada, you know. And it's huge, but it's so malty and delicious. Mm-hmm. I like. It I want to put this on breakfast cereal. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so good. Oh, yeah. You, and you it's a, got a little bit of that cereal kind of flavor to it, too. I mean, this is really something For the record, you have, a slightly the different, you have a slightly different idea of breakfast cereal than <laughs> probably most people. Just, well, just this would wash it down with a founder's breakfast stout. It's made for that. It's 100% corn. Cornflakes are crying out corn loud. Come on now. Yeah. No, you're right. It ha- and it sort of has a little cornflake vibe to it, actually, yeah. if you think about it. But it was a lot of chocolate. Yeah, yeah. The oak influence really kind of gives a little bit of a, a little cedar, a little, a little chocolate, you know, kind of like dark chocolate, mm-hmm. cocoa nibs, sort of have that that dryness maybe. I'm cuckoo for cocoa nibs. There you go. That's uh, that's that really, and that's that delicious neat? though. Is it really fantastic. is. You don't get a chance to try a 40 year old Canadian corn whiskey every day. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be part of our. Uh, that's going to be part of the balance. Of, that's going to be part so, of the the whole. So is that. Is that Canadian whiskey? That's not something that's commercially available. No, sir, right? that is not. No, that is right, not commercially so this is just, available. This is, this special. is just something we're, we're, that you have access to to be able to uh, use in your blend. Exactly. Since it's the Hallow- since it's uh, close to Halloween, I figured we'd celebrate Christmas, and I'm doing Secret Santa, so we're doing <laughs> Secret Samples. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mm. If it's only Secret Santa at the office were this much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this next one that we have here is also going to be from that same Canadian distillery in Walkerville. Uh, this is going to be a 78% rye whiskey that was aged for 13 years. And we barreled it at uh, 116 proof, and it came out at 111, which is uh, appropriate for the uh, show 111 here as we are. Yes, right? that's right. 111.9 proof. Uh, Ian, I don't know if I've ever tasted two whiskeys in the same sitting that were more different. These are Yeah, these are night and day. Yeah. Just couldn't be more different. The amount of fruit that comes through on the nose. The, with I this mean, thing this is very fruity. Yeah. Like, yes, absolutely. The, and like fruit, like pear and yes. like pears like, and peaches. Uh, yeah, pears and peaches. Like and like uh, right next to the skin, like that mm-hmm. kind of. Which again, not necessarily something I'm used to tasting in a whiskey. Right. Yeah. Um, I like the, when we do. Uh, you know, I've been able to go up to Canada and try some of the older whiskeys there and some of the finer whiskeys that they got aging, and it's um, a lot of fruit in Canadian Canadian rye. Mm-hmm. American rye, to me, a lot more spice. Canadian much more, rye, yes. much more fruit. And so I, I think, think American rye is bolder in Canadian American rye. American rye has yeah. a very more distinctive subtle. snap to it that, that you don't oh, find yeah. in the Canadian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think sip on that a little bit because that is but they just have, a really great candy. But they have universal health care. So, um, no, There's I'm that. Just, I'm just... I thought I I always say we don't go political on the show. I just thought I'd throw that in there just to just to see how you reacted. Um, Thanks, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is so you have now shown us two of the different things that are going into creating the newest two of the three book. whiskeys that go into the the little book. And I think that if you wanted to see a big difference between Canadian, what happens? Okay, so let's look at this mm-hmm. for those of you watching live. You can that look was at the a Canadian right. forty year old. 40 years in a barrel in Canada. So they can use used cooperage. We cannot, by regulation, when we're talking about whiskey in America, rye and bourbon. So used cooperage, 40 years. The color in the the bottle there, 
Okay. Yeah. Eight years unused cooperage in the U.S. with our more wow. with our much more dynamic climate. Yep. Sorry. Yep. That's all but, right. But um, you know, I think just being able to see that huge color difference is an amazing. Yeah, I was going to say one is thing, almost right? a uh, uh, one is almost twice as dark as the other. Yeah, mm-hmm. I it, absolutely right on the head. Twice as dark. But a huge contrast, and I think that you can just expect to get a little bit more bold. These are going to be some, you know, especially after trying some of that Knob Creek that we tried last time we saw right. each other, oh. and the last time you drank an American whiskey or American rye. You know, these are a little bit more of those hallmark flavors, that spiciness. Um, yeah, I, this is like a cinnamon bomb right on the front yeah. of the tongue. Yeah. This is not to detour, but how how have you guys done it with Knob Creek? I mean, every single iteration of it that i try i'm like oh my god yeah. they did it again yeah you know? no we're yeah good. and knob creek's a standby that i have i actually buy it in the big um i guess it's the, the 175 175 yeah. bottle because i have a little stand that does this you know there, yeah you kind of need one of those you when you have one that one. yeah you need one well this is great tell me again what this is so this is going to be an eight-year-old uh, K- uh kentucky straight rye whiskey so okay. this will be a lot more in line with what our Knob Creek is going to be, and this will be more of the base of that of the whiskey that we're going to blend together to make this Chapter 2. So when Freddie was putting together those first two whiskeys, he was looking for the mouthfeel and finish with that, that 40-year-old Canadian and then trying to get that fruit that we all noticed. So obviously with that 13-year-old yeah, Canadian there, yep. And so really kind of given the base, the soul of the whiskey is going to come back to being an American-based product and, of course, with our 8-year-old Awesome Kentucky Straight Rye coming off the coming out of the barrel at 119.8 proof. Okay. Yeah, and this you taste the proof on this one yes. more than the other ones. More I than think. the yeah. first two, yeah. yeah. Like you, the heat comes back right there, and it's not an unpleasant thing, but it's it's definitely more there on this one. I will tell you that based on the components separately, I'm thinking this is going to be even better than the last. Based on the components separately, because separately I've liked each one of these better than its counterpart in in the first all right not that i didn't like the first but like but in in the first i particularly enjoyed the final product much more than i enjoyed any of the individuals and in this case i've i've liked each of these individuals well you remember awesome. when we tried uh, that first one too that was when we were at uh boscat yes. and krakenberger walked in and he always has this kind of godfather-like presence that he projects mm-hmm. have you mm-hmm. noticed that about him <laughs> no yeah <laughs> pay attention Every time, you know, when I'm around Krakenberger, all I can think is every time I think I'm out, <laughs> pull me back in. Uh, I guess he does have that look. You, you, you did a really good Frank look right there. That was good. <laughs> was, can we show that yeah. look to the camera just yeah. in case there's any friends of Frank? Let's see if I can do it backwards. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's very good. See, now that you mentioned it, look, yeah. the advantages of being on video. All right. So what we have here is the finished. So product, this is the correct? finished product. This will be the blend of all three of the whiskeys we tried. Uh, this will be Little Book Chapter Two, No Simple Task. Uh, this comes out at um, one hundred twenty-one point one proof. So a little wow. bit more, ta- uh, just about the same actually. At one twenty point eighty-eight is the first release. What I will say that's interesting when you're talking about sophomore efforts and albums and things. Um, with Little Book Chapter 1, he tried multiple, you know, upwards of 20-plus experiments and blends of putting together what he did. He chose the second one he ever put together. Fascinating. The second one he chose was the one he stuck with. He just kept trying to beat his second. This one is actually the 29th out of the 32nd that he did. 29 so out of 32. That, yeah, 29 out of th- he, he chose his 29th blend out of the 32 this he was working with. It's really good, isn't it? 
Like I think it's smooth. My favorite profile. Uh, hold on, let me try it back to back here. Man, I don't know. They're both good, but I might like the the chapter two better. I think I do because I like the multi. Like it's it's bigger malt. Yeah, it's bigger malt. It's bigger up front. You don't have to dig hard to find that fruit though, too, which is really no. Nice. It's right there under yes, the surface, it's definitely it's in the there. middle yeah. of the flavor profile, yeah. and then it finishes with this great oakiness. Yes, that just, that's what I'm loving. I'm just sitting here enjoying that finish. And I I would almost say it's dry, but it's not really that dry. It's it's very oaky and a little astringent, but it's not really that dry. Yeah, I, I it's quite my good. mouth's kind of watering still. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. <laughs> so. in a good way. Yeah, mm. that's fantastic. Um, I'll tell you, that's wonderful. So. Um, just to save you the trouble, you can leave that with me. Yes. <laughs> I got I got other gifts. Yeah. <laughs> I love All right. that. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back with um, Founders Curmudgeon's Better Half. It's an old ale brewed with molasses and aged in maple syrup bourbon barrels. I want to come back. My kind of beer. I want to come back to this and talk about it a little more. But if we don't get to that soon, we may not be in any you know, any shape to actually judge it fairly. Uh, so we have that coming up. Plus, uh, I have and talked here to you is about, a beer. about uh, <laughs> the new uh, beer for dogs. We'll get to that story uh, coming up. It's Smoking a Toast, and, and it's show number 111. I'm glad you all like that. I think it's pretty good. That's spectacular. It's amazing. I mean, he's 31 years old. And he's pulling this off. Kids these days. Yeah. Yeah. Kids right. in your loud rock and roll music. Okay, so funny note. On the beach in Hawaii. Welcome back. It is smoking and toasting, and we are thrilled that you have uh, decided to hang out with us for show number one hundred and eleven. Our guest is uh, Adam Harris from Beam Centauri. Uh, Adam is uh, responsible for uh, basically being the public face, I guess, of the uh, American whiskey uh, division of the company. But Beam Centauri is how many spirits total? Do you have a number? Oh, I. Off the top of my head, no, I could <laughs> yeah, not tell you off the top of my if head. You Quite a guess, few. If you were to guess. Quite a few. I mean, I mean, it, we make... It's uh, hundreds, right? We've got over a hundred. I, I would definitely yeah. be confident saying yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, have you, like, is there any, like, requirement for working? Like, do you have to try everything that the company makes? Is that is that part of, like, like how, how do they handle that? Obviously, you need to be familiar with the product, certainly with what you're working on, but, like, do they... Yeah, no. Did I, they make uh, you try the other stuff too. Did they make? They don't. You? They don't make us do it. Uh, we do it willfully and, and gladly. But um, I do. I, I do try everything we do, and I've had the chance to be on some of the early early uh, sessions of actually tasting products as we develop them, and that's been pretty great. How long have you been with them? Uh, twelve over twelve years wow. actually. Yeah, oh, great. But always in bourbon. I've never deviated. I've never worked in other departments. I've always been kind of on the front uh, on the forefront of what we're doing on the american whiskey and bourbon situation Fantastic. yeah it's been a lot of fun so you've it's seen awesome. a lot of the newer developments i have that's I've, cool i feel like my career has sort of spanned the renaissance more or less because in my <laughs> in my beginning it was still in the you know, beginning in, in the beginning it was at <laughs> and, and in the beginning there too um, <laughs> i've heard that story yeah <laughs> but um i feel like it's it's i've gotten to see sort of the people come to come come to jesus on bourbon and and sort of take take it in as as that as that spirit that they that they love and that they go to i mean i, I remember before uh, going to whiskey fests uh, back in my my early days was very monochromatic you know it was there was there was like one um one sort of uh, f- group of folks that were showing up mm-hmm. you know and i think we've gotten it's just 
everybody's interested in bourbon now, and I'd rather it be like that than just having it be so specialized and only appreciated by a certain segment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of, of folks and of society that it now I, I just love the fact that everybody's into it. And it just it just makes it easier for me to talk because more people want to hear it. Nice. You know, you know? I, I think it started really with food. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, and there was like the Galloping Gourmet and you know a couple of shows like that on TV. But when the TV Food Network came out, when yeah, there was a cable that. explosion, more and more people started to become foodies and started to really become interested in the combination of things to create certain flavors and certain dishes. And I think well, that people spilled its the, way over into yeah. the beverage industry, yeah. both beer and spirits. And I people think, stepped out of that whole everything's, you know, the 50s Betty Crocker thing, you know. Right. Like, because right. Where you just make mashed potatoes and a piece of meat. Right, right. right. Well, for a long time taste was homogenized mm-hmm. like it was a cool thing that you could get the same thing no matter right. where you were yeah. right and that the whole thing that you know not knocking mcdonald's but that's that, that was the, the key to mcdonald's success of, yeah. was that a big mac tastes the same no matter what city you order yep. it in. right you know and there's there's a little comfort in that but truthfully when i go when i want to go outside i want to go try different things yeah you know? i know the and first i get what thing, you're saying that food network exploded it was crazy yeah i know the first thing that i am interested in when i get to a town that is not my town, is I want to try local yeah, beers local. Yes. and local uh, spirits, if they if there are any, if I can find them, and and some kind of local restaurant that's not, you know, there's no point in going to uh, another city and eating at a restaurant that exists in my city. I yeah. want to eat somewhere where I, I can't, you know, where I can't get that at home. I actually you know? think that that's a that's a that's a huge thing for me because I feel like I love I do the same thing when I go to a town. I feel like in the U.S., the only thing that separates city to city to city before the big, you know, smaller dis- distillery boom happened or is still happening, you know, when you go over to Europe, it's like try the wine from mm-hmm. place to place right. to place, region to region to region. As you go from coast to coast in the U.S., it's sort of try the beer. Try yeah. the beer coast to mm-hmm. coast to coast. Mm-hmm. And I always try to do that. I was just in Cleveland, counted 30 breweries, little breweries, Love like it. walking around the city, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And huge. And, and just try the beer, but also, like, what's your signature sandwich? What's the yeah, city's oh, signature, yeah. signature sandwich? Right, right, you know? right, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. a big thing me and my wife do when we go to places. I will tell you this funny story, though. Uh, I went to San Francisco years ago, and everyone kept telling me, my brother was like, you got to go to Fisherman's Wharf. Everyone kept saying, go to Fisherman's Wharf. I went down there, and the first thing I saw was a Joe's Crab Shack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not <laughs> just goes it. to show you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. really. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, Ian, uh, a place that you and I enjoy um, meeting occasionally for a whiskey uh, is a little bar downtown Houston called Reserve One Hundred and One. Oh yeah, yeah, that place is awesome. Great place. Uh, the owners of Reserve One Hundred and One, Megan and Steve Long, uh, have started a new venture. It's called Good Boy Dog Beer. I didn't know that was them. Yep, I see it at the yep, at the uh, yep. new potato where I go hang out from time to time. So it was here, okay if I drank it, right? Well, so. I was going to say I'm about to tell you the three questions they get asked the most. Uh, the first is: Is it really for dogs? Answers: Yes. Is it alcoholic? Answers: No. Can I drink it? The third question, and the answer is, um, sure. <laughs> but it doesn't exactly apparently dance on the uh, human palate. It doesn't have any uh, complete lack of sodium. And we generally, as a species, don't like, don't find things flavorful if they have zero salt. Mm-hmm. 
in them. It just isn't some, it doesn't dance on our tongue is a perfect way to say it. Uh, but uh, it, that was never the intention. Um, they uh, also own uh, Henderson Heights Bar in the 6th Ward and Reserve 101 downtown. And they wanted to create a new product that uh, mixed two of their favorite things on the planet, beer and dogs. And uh, so they're not pretending to be the first people with the idea, but uh, they have they have got this available. And Well, um, that's awesome because I'm glad they didn't do dog-flavored beer. So there's... Um, uh, the whole Which reason- would be the other option, yes. right? Well, they, we talked about bacon-flavored beer. There yes. might be hot dog-flavored yeah, yeah, beer, right, you know? Right. That's yeah. a, I think that's a... Lip- Scotch and hot dog water. That's my favorite drink ever. I mm. think that's a Limp Biscuit album title, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, whoa, out of nowhere, Limp Biscuit gets name-checked on the show. What just happened? What just happened? <laughs> Very quick. Okay, you're now an honorary member of the show. Am I in now? Am I in? You're totally an honorary (laughs) member of the show. Um, No, the whole reason that I uh, brought you this story about the, uh, the beer for dogs is so I could read you the names of the beers. Are you ready? Go ahead. These are the different beers they have for dogs. Lay it on me, bro. All right. Uh, Here we go. There's Mailman Malt Liquor. Of course. Session Squirrel. (laughs) Squirrel? And my personal favorite, IPA lot in the yard. <laughs> See, you have to appreciate that kind of dedication. How can that not be your favorite? Yeah. That's great. How can that not yeah. be awesome? I actually saw those, like I said, I saw those at uh, the New Potato where I go have a cigar mm-hmm. at least once a week. And uh, and I was laughing about it. I thought, we got to have these guys on the show. And I yeah. kept forgetting to mention and I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. IPA lot in the yard. <laughs> I just have to say that again. That's awesome. <laughs> What do you got in your hand there? Or in the case of uh, of my dog in the rock garden outside of my building. Oh, right. So here we go. Ready? Oh, that sounded good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be from Founders Brewing Company. It is... Uh, now, I don't know if you remember the label for Old Curmudgeon, but I'm going to show this one to the camera. This is uh, Old Curmudgeon's Better Half. And uh, here's what it says on the label. Old ale brewed with molasses and aged in maple syrup bourbon barrels. Wow. I'm for it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and let me uh, just see if I can read this. It's it's a very condensed print, and I don't see that well. Uh, what tames an old uh, ale like curmudgeon? The tender embrace of oak and sweet maple. Ian's like, he could have poured before he started reading this. Um, uh, that's what. Uh, the result is curmudgeon's better half. A harmonious matrimony of our receptively smooth old ale, brewed with molasses, and then time spent aging in bourbon barrels that have previously held maple syrup, because all counterparts should be sweet, rich, and utterly delicious. You know, that sounds suspiciously like something I would bring. Yeah, it it really does. (laughs) And if it has chunks in it, I'm going to have to, uh, (laughs) uh, I'm going to have to, you know, tip my hat to you, Ian. Let me pass that over. Now, I will say on pouring it, and I have not tried this, it is not as thick or dark looking as I was necessarily expecting. It's pretty but then straightforward again, ale color, it, right? Yeah, it, it almost looks like a scotch ale, maybe, yeah. you know, that, that sort mm-hmm. of color. Um, sort well, of the, the, uh, the Old Curmudgeon is not that dark a beer either, but mm-hmm. I will tell you, you said it doesn't look that thick. Give it a little swirl. It's actually oh, got a be, little bit may, of a... Yeah, you may be right. There may be some hidden viscosity there. Yeah, it's not walk tree. Hidden viscosity. Touch cloudy. Starring Tom Cruise as Jack Ryan. 
Um, sorry. Um, just finished that I just, series. I just watch that Amazon some of that. series. It's oh, that good. Amazon series was awesome. It was really good, yeah. Largely because it didn't star Tom Cruise as Jack Ryan. I just right. saw uh, Tropic Thunder the other night again. Uh, that's funny. And that whole intro where they have all the different movie mm-hmm. trailers is mm-hmm. just hilarious. Yeah, it's really good. But yes, the Jack Ryan series on Amazon, highly recommended. Yeah. If you like action movies of any kind that's good. Uh, or or like if you're a fan of like the early seasons of 24 that type of thing i was uh, a, I, I enjoyed fun. the fact that they they put a bow at the end of it I, mm-hmm. who's to say yes. what might happen in the future but yes. it's nice to have like but it wasn't completely open ended yes, yes. I, I, I have a surprise for you I actually Spoiler watched alert. some tv did you really? What'd you yeah, watch? I never watched TV. It's yeah. kind of funny. I heard He's this about a, you. Um, yeah. Hip Hop Evolution. Oh, and I've the heard second that, I've season heard that's is good. out. And I've heard that's good. Great. Yeah, I've heard that's good. So good. And you were such a hip hopper too. So I totally. Uh, I, I love me some old school hip hop. Yeah, okay. yeah I do. I know. My stay up just kind of kicked in last night. I ended up watching a, a bit of. I recorded him to watch him later, but I ended up watching a little bit of the first episode or the first part of The Searcher, the Elvis Presley documentary. Oh, on HBO. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen and then, it, yeah. uh, I I watched a little it, bit of the I've second s- part, too. Yeah. I've seen the. Uh, I've got it on my queue. Let's I'm looking forward to diving way. in and I'll seeing the whole thing. Yeah, I would just really say, great. by the way, for rock and roll and old school hip hop, probably no better documentary I've watched than the one that Apple did on um, Dr. Dre and uh, Jimmy Iovine. Yes, oh, yeah. uh, and, the, and the name is escaping it's like me. Like the innovators the or something. The like innovators that, yeah. or yeah, yeah, regulators or yeah. whatever it was. It's not regulators, but nine whiskeys, Mono. three beers. So, guys, we have uh, talked about everything but the taste of this beer, and I know you've sampled the in. So, let's start with you. Well, so first off, um, you'll notice after your very first taste, this is not um, thin. No, it actually it has a lot more mouthfeel than you think it's by the not color thin of at it. All yes. Um, the second thing is. The maple is interesting because it doesn't just smack you with maple. It it sneaks you into the maple towards the end. I agree totally. It's almost like like you ever like eat a waffle and like at first you taste the bread of the waffle and then you taste the right, syrup. Right. It's yeah. kind of like that, you know? So this also has a little bit of uh, raisin or even maybe a mm-hmm. prune or date in the front of it that really comes through. And this, I think, is an outstanding beer. Again, this is your this is, kind of beer, Ian. Well, yeah, I mean... I, I, I drank quite a few of these a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but it is also, I think, in the 10% neighborhood, if you, if you want to look right. at the let bottle. Me, it's boozy, and it doesn't even taste boozy. It just tastes big and sweet and delicious, if you ask me. It's I got a tell big, you. beefy aroma. Yeah, but, and, you know? and um, it stands up to the uh, whiskey that we were drinking yeah. earlier. I will tell you that the um, <clears throat> the bottle is worth $0.10 cents in Oregon. Because the, the, the maltiness of this is so ridiculous. Yeah, the molasses is there on the on the very tail end of the flavor. Like you get the body of it, but you you really taste it on the flavor, the tail end um, aftertaste huh? is what I'm looking for. Sorry. Oh, um, what were ahead. you what were you guessing the alcohol content 10-ish. was? Twelve point seven, my oh, friend. My. That's there's a that reason may, I love this. Beer. That may be one of the <laughs> that may be one of the higher alcohol content beers we've had on the show. What big one. what do you think has been the biggest that we've had? Um, I brought a bottle of. Um, the uh, Dogfish Head, um, the big IPA they make, I'm blanking on it, the 90-minute, uh, mm. 120-minute, mm. which was, I think, in the neighborhood of 18 or 19%. Mm. Mm. And it was amazing. That is good. It's, yeah. it's sipping only. Like, you can't you can't. You that. can't. <laughs> like, I'm done with mine. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded 
distinctly like a challenge. So it really did. <laughs> so I, and I'm, I'm experienced with this beer. I've had this before, and it's 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 a fantastic beer, and it goes down so easy and, and I, so quick. This is a limited release, right? This is not uh, something you know. It's hard to tell with founders because sometimes they put out stuff like this, and then two years later, you still see it on a shelf. Sometimes they do it, and it's there for a season. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. I do know that the uh, All Day IPA. Uh, was supposed to be a limited 2018 release, release, and it became like one of their like staples yeah. of the company yeah. now. So I would love to get them on our show, and uh, and first off, listen to them talk because I've got a lot of family from Michigan. Well, they're they talk from like Grand Rapids, family, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, like I tease that, them about it too. They tease me about it. I feel like <laughs> that beer definitely has a, a place at the dinner table. You know, yeah, like this a food pairing beer. Yeah. But yeah. so now I, I also can agree that this is a big enough beer to where one bottle shared between two or three. It's a great, you know, after dinner, you know, sitting yeah. down, chilling. It goes great with cigars. Um, I've I've had that with. I think when I when I uh, popped up one of those, I think I did a LFD uh, uh, double Ahero, and it's well, it would stand up I mean, to it. I what think. What else yeah. are you going to do yeah, to stand right. up to a double Ahero? Yeah. And and which is a huge cigar, by the way. If you like mild cigars, do not get one of those. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Noted. Because <laughs> that's like a hammer to the forehead if you're used to the mild. But it stood up great to that. And the chocolatey notes. Uh, th- this doesn't have a lot of chocolatey notes, but the chocolatey notes mm-hmm. in that super Lajero, or the uh, the the double Lajero, uh really complemented this. So they actually worked together I mean, pretty a, well. That's a serious cigar. Yeah, I want to drink I mean, that with like a roast duck or something like that. It sounds so right. Yeah, that it would has, be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah that vibe to it, doesn't it? And yeah. stuff that stuff that's very savory, like this whole season, like where you have the like the savory like uh, roast turkey and stuff like that. It's going to go have great. Have some of that at Thanksgiving. Kind of yeah, ready yeah, to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, absolutely. good sharing bear too. Well, I will tell you, I think it's uh, I think it's terrific. And um, if I were to pair it up, I'd probably pair it with like a a Nat Sherman Connecticut, probably. I just did that to psych out Chris Hart. No, <laughs> um, no uh, I, I agree. It needs it needs a, a Lafleur Dominicana chisel. It, it needs to be or big. Something, you know, yeah, it uh, needs to, to stand be big. up to it. Maybe uh, maybe something in the uh, in the not medium to full, but full category would be my uh, would be my recommendation. Well, uh, I like it. I like it very much. Uh, now, let me ask you um, about uh, Little Book again. This is yes. the second. Can we find the first one still, or is it essentially gone? It's one of our smallest releases, so the first uh, the first chapter is probably mostly out of stores by now. Okay. Um, and now we're starting to see the the second release kind of trickle into Houston. So, our, and uh, when you our, say trickle in, is it that way by design? It is. It is the smallest thing we do. Uh, okay. It's not when we get it in. It's not going to kind of. We don't release it slowly it's not mm-hmm. a slow drip we kind of put it in there but it's a matter of how it gets from us to the store from point a to point yeah, b, point a okay. to point d and is it allocated or is it uh how does it work it's limited not allocated um but we do we don't have that very much of it it is it's actually smaller than the quarterly releases of bookers that we do so mm. what you're basically saying is that people are listening to the show they like what we've described they think it sounds like something they want this needs to be on your priority list to get in the next in the, few months, in, right? in the, in the, within the month's time, into between now and Thanksgiving, I would look for okay. this whiskey. Yeah. All right. mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. So um, it's, uh, I think it's spectacular. It's it's one of. I'm the, glad you like it. I enjoy it um, as much as I've enjoyed anything we've tried here in a while. This is uh, this is really spectacular. Thank and you. when I had you know that. Uh, that lunch with you guys over at the Boscat. I mean, we had some great whiskeys. That <laughs> we <day>. did. So <laughs> to be favorites. able to, to be able to stand up to to some of that stuff. I mean, very yeah. impressive. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Thank you. Very impressive. So uh, look for this, uh, and it is 
the official name is just Little Book, or does it it's say Little Book Chapter Two? Chapter it does yep, say but Chapter you'll, Two. You'll see it packaging. as Little Book, and then on the yeah. on the packaging it will say Chapter Two, and it's No Simple Task. No Simple, no task. simple yeah. task. I like it because you got to title your chapters. Yes, you there do. You go, of course. Every every chapter needs a title. Uh, I'm going through all the I Harry like Potters with my son right now. Do that. Yeah, I, I wish your first iteration had been called "It Was a Dark and Stormy Night." <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome in the beginning. <laughs> yes, that would have been awesome. Well, uh, Adam, thank you very thank much you for very coming much. on it's the been show a lot of fun. And, and uh, sharing this stuff with us. The deconstructions were just fascinating. That's so uh, and, fantastic. And the two were so Good. different from yeah. each other, which uh, made it all well, that not much only that, more but the components. Like you'd think, okay, well, some you'd share some components, but there's nothing shared between these. These are uh, like vastly different areas you're coming from. If you drink and just the two little books side by side, you wouldn't say, "Oh, these are vastly different." You'd say they're they're a bit different, let's, right? Let's do. Should we do that? Sure, let's do that. That'll be our final uh, thing that we do is just to drink them side by side and say, "Okay, how do?" Because as you pointed out, Ian, the components are just complete. Like yeah, night, they're so night different. And day. But in my memory, at least. Number one and number two aren't radically different. They are a bit different. I think maybe we'll. I think there might be a bit of a different opinion after trying them All right. fresh. This will be interesting to see. But actually, that's the thing too. Actually, I don't think that at all. I was just trying to get him to pour more <laughs> so we could. Uh, <laughs> I was Mission say, accomplished. Actually, I kind of did this earlier and noted <laughs> well that they were quite different from each other. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to let you go through. Thanks with this. for not speaking up. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, it means more whiskey for us. That's what I'm talking about. But when um, you think about right, where the, the future first. could be, the this future could first. be with rum. Maybe there might be some rum that kind of gets into the equation. Maybe mm-hmm. some tequila comes into the equation. Interesting. You never know. You I'm never such a know. fan of those spirits. I can't even tell you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Thank All you, right, sir. So this yep. is the first. See? So handing you chapter two now. And this, of course, I've had. And so it's interesting, too, because the color difference. Color chapter difference, one right? is, uh, is redder. Mm-hmm. Yep. A little darker. Chapter 2 is a lighter color, yes. So chapter 2 is a little bit lighter in color overall. All right, so I've definitely got number 1 on my palette. Number 1, more maple than number 2, at least. Also, you just had that big maple bomb on the... Yes, on the beer, yes. Half, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's, the, where's the lime and the salt? <laughs> Are we doing this wrong? If you Sorry. Go- you know, the running joke is no, no limes and no salt were hurt in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Keep it in. Don't don't spit it. it out. Yep, that's great. <laughs> okay, so you're right, uh, of course, and they are vastly different. Worlds it's, apart. It's, it's a much bigger difference than I was remembering. But that's the funny thing about the palate. Like you know, when you're apart from some, like when you haven't had something, or when you've tried several other things. The palate is very. What have you done for me lately? You <laughs> you're know? so right about yeah. that. But uh, trying them side by side, I will say number one, definitely more. Uh, Bold, more mapley. Chapter two, more subtle, and reminds me well, more of like the single malt type experience where it's just more like subtle on on the so palate. So number one comes in and introduces the character like it's kicking down the door. It's like right, it's right, right. here in the front of the palate, and then you get this wave. Then it, it goes into this nice aftertaste and number two does almost the opposite that like the Chapter initial where we find out they're a real person and we should care about them for these uh, right right the initial kind of sneaks keep you reading in the book right and the then second date in yeah, the yeah, middle of the date. palette you get a lot of the character and then the aftertaste is big and full and you get to enjoy it for a while yeah yeah i think when you think about the when you think about why what was some of the reasoning behind making number one and what he was thinking about what he wanted to do 
and, and kind of that homage to bourbon. There's it's, a very, a more there's a very familiar flavor yeah. in, cha- mm-hmm. in chapter mm-hmm. one. Yes. And I like that about it. Yes, very and much. Then chapter so. two has definitely gone off that reservation. Absolutely, you know, 180 degrees away. This is a completely yeah. different. Let's try something over here. Yeah. sort of a sort of a vibe to it. Well, they are both delicious, and I will be uh, scanning my store shelves uh, to make sure I don't miss out on being able to grab a bottle of this because it's it's certainly at about an eighty dollar price point. You said this is about uh, this is something that I should would be in your. I bar. would deem this totally worth it. You, like this is this yeah. is a special occasion. Uh, unless you have a whole lot more money than me, that's fine too. But this is a special occasion, must have. I'd say. Yeah, I was going to say it's worthy of uh, of the spending and putting in your bar because mm-hmm. this is this is one you can break out when good friends come over. Awesome, and that's uh, that's a good way to put it. So I think we will leave you with that. We have. Uh, um, Really appreciated having uh, Adam. Uh, my pleasure. Thank Centauri you for having me on the show. It's been Thank a lot you. of fun, and we've enjoyed uh, the whiskey very, very much. On next week's show, uh, Nicholas Tamantes from Four Roses will be joining us. That's going to be a blast. And I'm looking forward. Nicholas, I, I got to spend a little time with him at the Whiskey Sniff. Uh, very cool dude. And of course, we're fans of Four Roses, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, plus, there's a barley shortage on the horizon, Ooh. and this could impact craft beer prices. Could double. Craft beer prices is what the guys are saying. Wow! Oh, so don't I'll do that give to you, me. Yeah, I'll give you that uh, that story coming up. Plus, uh, for the third year, Whiskey Bible has picked an American whiskey as best. We'll tell you what that is on next week's show. So awesome! Have a wonderful uh, week, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, um, I'm going to use the chapter two to toast you guys and say. Thank you for watching and listening to Smoking and Toasting. Cheers and thank and, you, Adam. And cheers, cheers, guys. Thank you. And thanks to Adam and the Wheels of Steel. Well, that was fun. Big time fun.